0: Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman.
1: I'm Mark Marble.
0: And this is The Lantern Cast.
1: Episode 328?
0: That's correct. What did we call on this one? It was uh, What Might Have Been,
1: right? Yes, I believe so.
0: Lantern Cast, What Might Have Been. So, What Might Have Been. All right, so...
1: (laughs) And that's the episode. Good night, everybody. This is, this is a lot. We're leaving this one up to you. You can use your imagination. What it might have been? It's a philosophical episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Goodbye. So are we going to speculate on uh, our own uh, uh, stories we would like to be told someday or where they could have gone at the end of Rebirth or uh, Emerald Dawn or any of that stuff? No. We're ta- we have two things in mind in particular. First up, I'll be talking about the Cullen Bunn's Lost Army series. Why are we talking about that? Well, as you know, Cullen Bunn's Green Lantern Lost Army series was originally supposed to be a 12-issue series in which he got to tell the story of the Green Lantern Corps lost in space. space. <laughs> <laughs> Slash time. Uh, in that they were uh, in Relic's universe before Relic's universe went kaboom. Well, Q, DC cutting him off halfway there, he only gets six issues, and then Edge of Oblivion shows up, which picks up on absolutely zero threads from, from the Lost Army series, other than the fact that the Lantern Corps has found each other, they're based on Mogo, and they're lost in the universe, and in time. So, What could that series have been? Uh, Colin Bunn has, as he often does, a random AMA, Ask Me Anything. On Twitter, I, using my personal Twitter account, ask him what the plan was for Green Lantern Corps Lost Army. He responds on his Tumblr or whatever it is that people have these days with a long list of things that might have been I, using the Lanterncast feed on Twitter, retweet it and be like, holy shit! <laughs> With, which I guess prompts an unprecedented response, and he immediately takes it down, but not before we got our screenshots <laughs> of what happened. So, sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> we'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about, since Mark's a movie guy, and since, you know, we've been talking about doing this for a while, the Green Lantern movie. No, not the movie as you saw it on the screen, but uh, the movie as uh, the it might have been. That's right, the OG script, uh, as written by Mark. The three names. Oh God,
1: just hold on. I gotta, I gotta, I'm not, I gotta <laughs> scroll up because I'm actually not. Greg Berlanti,
0: you know, Mark Guggenheim. I'm gonna do
1: it. I actually was wrong. I thought it was still. I I was rereading this before we recorded, so I thought I was I'm making some notes. So I, I thought I was always I was still back in the nineties, but I actually was only on page one. Yes, Greg Berlanti, Michael Green, and Mark Guggenheim.
0: That's right. Uh, so the OG script, the movie as it might have been. We also we probably won't talk very much about it. Uh, flip through the Green Lantern from script to screen, the Constructing Green Lantern from from page to screen book. Just to see if there's anything in there. Spoiler alert: there really wasn't. But uh, we're going to talk about the two potential things that could have existed in the Green Lantern universe within the last seven to eight years, <laughs> if, I'm, if I got my math right there.
1: You're still in the ballpark, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. I'm drinking alcohol, folks. That's what's happening. Now, <laughs> I only I only do this when we when we have like a really loosey goosey topic like this. Or I don't have to have, like, my tablet open with the comics in front of me and all
1: that good stuff. Uh, so. He doesn't even have the robe on tonight, which is which is a scary idea all to itself.
0: I'm fully dressed, I'm actually. R- <laughs> <laughs> then,
1: then, then, then you know how, how loosey-goosey this is for Chad, because he hasn't even slipped into his recording togs.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, I actually, uh, I went to go see uh, – Oh, that right. uh, yes. that yeah, Mr. Rogers won't you be in my neighbor documentary about like 325 today. So yeah, still just kicking it from being out and about. But um, <laughs> so so how should we how should we handle this? Should we do this? Should I read the whole thing and then we comment it, or should I go the issue by issue and then comment on? How do you want to do this? Eh,
1: for the for the hell of it, let's do let's do issue by issue because it's because little the little synopses are so short that. It won't – it'll just – if there's much to talk about, we'll talk about it and then move on. So let's do that. I think that kind of – then we don't have to worry about remembering, you know, what was an issue – what was an issue 8 again by the, by the time we get to, like, issue 12?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. So uh, from the uh, – fr- from Cullen's uh, answer to the AMA, here's a very abbreviated look at what was planned. For the series, if it had continued, or if I had continued,
1: and before you get into it, this, this Jesse, it's Jesse, right? Jesse, when you asked us to talk to talk about the color about uh, Lost Army a long time ago in your in your uh, listener feedback, we did not ignore it. We didn't really ignore I don't know if we did acknowledge it. I think we did once, we acknowledged that we hadn't forgotten it, but we never did forget it, we just were abiding our time to when we thought it was an appropriate time to actually bring up the information that we had. So that time is now!
0: (laughs) Yeah, now that we're so far into DC Rebirth, and, uh, you know, Edge of Oblivion and Lost Army are so far behind us, I feel like even though Cullen took these answers down, they're still pretty fair game. They say anything that's on the internet's fair game. I'm not sure I 100% agree with that, given people getting hacked and stuff like that. But I think now that we, I think we can talk about it a little more freely now without having to worry like if Cullen's gonna catch any hell or anything like that. Because I mean, at this point, some of his ideas are so far removed from where they've gone now, and the stuff, especially like when we get to the stuff about the source wall and, and all this stuff. It's just, there's really no point. There's, if anybody from BC is listening, there's no point for Colin to get in trouble about any of this. Because it obviously never happened, and it clearly won't happen again. It's not like someone's going to throw the Green Lantern Corps back in the universe. It's, the, the, DC doesn't have what-if titles. <laughs> what if Colin Bunn had finished his run? Because <laughs> that would be really douchey. Uh, but here we go. Issue 7. The lanterns now set up on Mogo with Relic and Krona as their allies. Lanterns have a source of power, so groups are sent out to find still missing lanterns. John discovers a hidden vault on Mogo where the guardians are found hiding.
1: Those pussies, <laughs> and we all, and we were to assume these were the Templar guardians.
0: That is correct. Because the OG guardians are dead as of issue twenty? Yeah. All right. Alright. So yes, the Templar Guardians are found hiding on a, in a vault on Mogo. At this point, Mark, do you want to give people a rough recap of where issue six
1: oh, God. uh if I can remember or well they had they had turned that power pyramid, right? They had gotten the power pyramid mm-hmm. and they have of course, in that universe, in that universe, pretty much, I guess, the, whatever a majority of any color, I guess, at any given time, could could turn a power pyramid over to their respective color of the spectrum. So then we have but we had a bunch of lan we had a bunch of lanterns that changed color. We had a bunch of mm-hmm. some some lanterns were using staffs already, right or not? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and they were everybody was they were. Crona was seemingly a good was seemingly a good guy, which is all you can ever say for Crona. As he, they were all trying to figure out a way to get them back to their own universe. And Relic thought, and was being at this at the time this series ended. Relic was basically being misled on purpose by John Stewart into thinking they were going to help try to save his universe, or they could help save his universe, when they all, when John at the time anyway had no intention of ever doing that. <laughs> Uh, um, so other
0: other other than founding the Guardians in the Vault, is there anything we wanted to talk about issue seven?
1: I don't think that's I don't think based on what he wrote here, there's any that seemed to be the most that that was the shocking development that was the most interesting or maybe unforeseen development. So this just seems which makes sense. We're in the middle of a twelve issue arc, so this is kind of like moving the story along. You get a big reveal at the end, but the bulk of the issue. Uh, is is nothing at ad- nothing special.
0: And, and you know it makes it, it, that makes sense because in Edge of Oblivion we didn't get anything at all about the Guardians. Correct. Which is why 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 we spent so much time going where are the effing Guardians <laughs> after Rebirth happened. Um, so issue eight, the Guardians reveal that they banished the Green Lanterns to this universe. They feared the arrival of a powerful spectrum-slash-emotional entity that would have surely destroyed the Lanterns. The Lantern Corps directs Mogo to the source wall. New visitors arrive at Mogo, the Overseers, the guardians of Relics Universe.
1: That issue sounded like a winner.
0: Yeah, that it sounded, sounded like a good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the, these,
0: One thing... Go yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 fact that we get an actual explanation of why the Guardian, <laughs> why the Green Lantern Corps found themselves in this other universe to begin with, is extremely interesting. Because to our knowledge, we've never gotten that explanation
1: either. That is true. We still have never found out who ban- who banished banished the uh, Green Lantern Corps.
0: And this actually gives the Guardians like, <laughs> a, <laughs> I mean, it's not like a huge. in in terms of power set, but, like, because we've seen them do time travel sort of stuff before, like, when, you know, Kyle accidentally arrives and, you know, Hal gets sucked back to Kyle's time with them, like, because the Guardians are the ones who sent Kyle back. But, but like, this is just, this is a whole, this is, like, a a whole other side to that coin. Not only can they send them back in time, they can send them to other universes or a time before the time in which they're existing. Because the way we're supposed to understand this is Relic's universe is our universe, but the same way physicists have these theories of the expanding and contracting of the universe. You know, Big Bang happens, the universe expands outward. At some point during creation, it's going to start retracting, and once it retracts, and condenses, then we get another Big Bang. So that's essentially what happened to Relic's universe. It started contracting and contracting and contracting, supposedly due to the use of the emotional spectrum and that draining, I guess, the life force and energy of the universe. And that condensed the entire universe down. Everybody died except Relic. And the the explosion out from that con- condension was our Big Bang that led to our universe. So they... It's the same universe, just a super, super, super long time ago. So the fact that they're able to send people, planets, like this whole thing, to a time before time, thats uh, that would have been like one of those moments where you're like, oh shit, I forgot the Guardians were as powerful as I guess they
1: really are. Yeah, that it, it, we don't get many moments like that anymore. So that that would have been that would have been cool. It the idea that see it's interesting that the, you know they feared the you know the arrival of the spectrum emotional entity that would have surely destroyed, destroyed the lanterns. Obviously, we're supposed to believe that that is something other than relic, though. It, though uh, though it would kind of have been funny from or not funny. It would be ironic based on the the great concept of a self fulfilling prophecy that it would be kind of cool that they they didn't necess- they knew something was coming. They didn't know what was coming even though, yes, Relic had already happened in our time, so it, it, it doesn't really work entirely right. But, they may have sensed, but maybe it was one of those things where they almost like a prophecy, where they misread the prophecy and they thought something else was coming, so they sent the Green Lanterns back to try to avoid it, but what they really were picking up on was the fact that Relic had already come and gone, <laughs> and by going right. back in time, they basically created Relic to be pissed at everybody to wipe them out, and kind of created, you know, made that, made that loop. That's one of the things I looked, I don't think that was what Colin would have gone with, but I thought that was... But that's one of the things I look at when I when I thought of that. Uh, it makes me wonder what, you know, what Cullen had in mind for this emotional, you know, emotional enti- entity and why it would have... It's also interesting that they said they would have destroyed the Lanterns, though I'm sure they really just mean the Green Lanterns. But it's just interesting that uh, it's written that way. Plus, the Lan- you know, I like the idea that we get to see the Guardians of Relics Universe.
0: Yeah, it makes me also curious, are the over Because... Uh, in Relic's universe, towards the end, of course, they're, the lanterns, by their very or the lightsmiths, by their very nature, are, are bickering. We have that Relic one-shot during, I guess, Fear itself, um, or not Fear itself. That Forever was a Marvel title, Forever Evil. Yes, um, where you know Relic explains to them, and they're all kind of in a council, bickering at each other, and all this, but. You got the sense from that one shot that until the light of creation became a limited resource, there was a long time there when all lightsmiths were cooperating and working together. So were the overseers the guardians of the green light of will? Or were they like, the, the have they, had they become the guardians of all the lanterns?
1: That is true. We don't. We don't. That would have been know. interesting. Yeah. And and maybe because again, maybe in that universe, it doesn't. It didn't matter all that much since they seemingly could swap pa- powers and batteries and everything else almost at the drop of a hat. So maybe the, the, the guardians were kind of like that too. So maybe they were really the guardians of the entire emotional spectrum, not just one core.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else uh, before we move on to nine?
1: Uh, the source wall thing, obvious. obviously that was a means to an end to potentially get back, I think, to to their proper universe, but that was probably the least interesting thing about the synopsis.
0: Yeah, in terms of things that they follow through in Edge of Oblivion, this is probably the one kernel, the one nugget that uh, that uh, the, the next team picked up on. But uh, honestly, it's not really that—I mean, forgive me, Colin— <laughs> It's not that unique of a thing because the the source wall is supposed to exist in every universe, right? So it would make sense to give that a shot. I hear you. All right. So issue nine, these overseers are powerful, but dying. They want to know everything about the Lantern's universe because they think it might be a key to saving themselves. They cannot be reasoned with, and they attack the lanterns. <clears throat> they shatter some of the green wing- rings with their power. But Mogo gifts these lanterns with light slaves, light staves. Sorry. Some lanterns now have staves. Some change color. During the battle, Krona claims a ring from a fallen lantern. In the aftermath of the fight, John decides to tell Relic the truth about how his universe is going to die.
1: Now, it's interesting, just based on the way it's written here, it's interesting what exactly was the catalyst. Was it just, you know, the overseer's borderline going off the deep end? Uh, Or what was the real, the true catalyst for John now, all of a sudden deciding to come clean? Maybe it's guilt, maybe it's just trying to, you know... Getting closer to the end, realizing he should do the right thing and it's and it's wrong to mislead Relic. Uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting decision since obviously Relic could decide to even though this Relic is not as much of a threat as our Relic is. That it is interesting that he would at this moment do that. So I'd be curious to see if there's something else maybe that wasn't specifically spelled out that that drove John to do it.
0: I wonder if Relic finding out the universe was dying. Uh, I mean.
1: The Overseers.
0: No, 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 Relic. Uh, I wonder if Relic finding out the universe was dying from John takes place before the one shot where we see him uh, talking to all the lightsmiths. Oh. Like Because when we run into Relic, isn't he already in the universe sort of doing his research, trying to figure out what's happening? Now he's already doing his own research, so he's on the right track to find out the right answer. but what if but what if uh, John Stewart's you know pro- proclamation here in this issue is what confirms his scientific findings thus far. and then that's what sends him to call the lightsmiths all together and tell them the universe is ending.
1: No, I think it would be cool because I think one of the things one of the things I th- believe we talked about when we were talking about Lost Army is that how it would kind of be one way or the other, again, kind of like this Terminator thing, almost like a Terminator loop thing, where the Green Lantern's ending up in his universe one way or the other, even if he doesn't remember now anything about them, but he's but you know they were but there were just the residual concepts in his like either hatred or or just anger. And uh, towards the lanterns, and thus the end the emotional spectrum as a whole, but Green Lanterns too. That may, it would be would have been cool if we found out that part that, basically his his hate on regarding lanterns and believing the emotional spectrum was the cause of all these problems, basically stemmed from the visit, you know, from lost from the storyline and Lost Army. So it also, following up on that concept, it would be cool if yes, if we if John Stewart, his his explanation, all the stuff, the conversation between the two of them, everything Relic then learns and observes ends up becoming becoming you know. But it seems like they're a little. It seems like at this point they're they're that's a little they're a little further towards I think the uh, spectrum dying maybe. Then, but 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 you really don't know. I mean you know that you know things are fading out. You just don't know entirely how close they were when when Lost Army began. Right, so, so it's a fine line, I think.
0: I wonder if John told them uh, because of the fight that ensued with the overseers. probably. You know, it's Corona's a smart—I mean, not Corona. A relic is a smart guy. You know, hey, why won't you tell the overseers about uh, your universe? What are you hiding? You know, so on and so forth. Agreed. Um, what is, I mean, there's, it's small moment, we'll come back to it, obviously, but, uh, the Krona picking up the ring? Never a good sign. Yeah, makes me curious, especially when you get the whole gauntlet thing. Right. At what point, at what point in Krona's story is this Krona?
1: Right, and that's one thing I don't think we can really, in the synopsis, I don't think we really get it clear explanation for that, because that was one of the things we always talked about, too, like, basically, what chrona was this? <laughs> was, this yeah. was this pre-bad Krona? Was this in-between? Was this kind of, like, already a troublemaker Krona, but not completely gone to the dark side, if you will? Or is this bad Krona just playing, you know, playing games and pretending that he's not because he has a means to an end that he wants to accomplish?
0: All right Alright, moving on.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm going to take issue 10 and 11 together since uh, 10 is just a really, yeah. <laughs> so you know,
1: Flashbacks. Maybe there'd be a lot of flashbacks in that episode, for uh, that issue for you, Chad.
0: Uh, well, what's interesting is in none of this do we hear any more about Jon Stewart's flashbacks.
1: But to be fair, we never we didn't read his synopses for the first six issues, so maybe he never wrote, bothered writing them in.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. All right. Issue 10. Corona tells the Lanterns that he has found a way home. He begins building a machine. He says we'll send the lanterns home. Well, I'm only going to say one thing about it. Krona building a machine. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> Historically not a good idea. <laughs> Krona, uh, issue 11. Krona experiments on the rift between this universe and the lantern's universe. Krona reaches through the void, and we realize it was his own hand reaching through space that he saw so long ago. The Lanterns start to suspect Crona is going to betray them.
1: Shocker. No <laughs> <laughs> His name is Crona.
0: <laughs> Crona reveals he has always been able to hear the Lantern's secret telepathic communication. Krona says he can save Relic's universe, but he must sacrifice another to do so. He plans on destroying the Lantern's home universe and claiming a great deal of power of light for himself. What a douche. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it really uh, highlights something I remember you saying when we were covering Lost Army. You kept bringing up at least two or three times do you think Krona can hear what they're thinking? Or their, their telepathic communication between one another. And it turns out you were on the money.
1: I thought, actually, to be honest, I thought that was your take on it more than mine. I really thought uh, that was your take. I but i but, but i but either way Come the then. the point is we're so far removed from it yes the point is the point is we what i was going to say was we absolutely discussed it and that was that was a leading prominent theory all along based on how the story was playing out that the odds were in favor for multiple reasons especially knowing Corona's history with the, with the creation of the core which of course changes constantly what Corona was involved in just like Ramy now as a Ray, now, now, Rami is like co-creator seemingly of everything along with Krona That it made sense. It did. That that would be one of the least shocking reveals. You know, the, the the idea that the Guardians are hiding in the basement was a big was a much bigger reveal. I think if you were reading the issues than this, like, oh, krona has been reading our communications the whole time, bastard. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> and I think
0: I think at the time the reason we were saying this is because artistically it looks like Krona had a weird look on his face every time they did that yes yeah okay
1: um, kind of feel bad for, ab- kind of feel bad for relic again here because Re- once again relic is kind of I mean Relic is a Relic is a relatively interest. I mean not relatively. He's I'd say he's an interesting character. That whatever I'd be curious to see what happens to him in the post Venditti era. So that might be Robert Venditti's biggest lasting uh c- contribution to the to the Green Lantern mythos is is Relic going hand in hand with the you know the finite emotional spectrum crap. But Relic as a character is a very intriguing character because of the fact that he really, I mean, he really is kind of a victim on so many levels. It's like he tried, and he, based on the origin, at least we got, we got. He tried to, he was trying to save, he was trying to save his universe. He really, he seemingly was on the right track for why the universe was falling apart. Nobody, nobody listened, and then he again, he was, per- he was kind of like perfectly uh, neutralized until what well, Kyle helped wake him up by accident, but still, and then. You know, he in his in his attempt in a, his parallax-like attempt to try to save the universe, he would do anything. You know, he would try to set things right, basically at all costs. So that in his mind's eye, he had to wipe out wipe out all the lanterns and save all the emotional spectrum energy. Just you know, to I and I just and even in this story, you just feel like he was all, People are always manipulating him people, John was manipulating him to, to, to help them, but not being honest. Crona all along seemingly was manipulating Relic, and even now he's trying to manipulate Relic. He's like, hey, I, I can save your universe, just help me screw over theirs.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, it makes me think about Relic uh, in terms of, in context of this story. It makes you wonder if the Relic that we were very first introduced to during Lights Out, if he knew them all along, but because like, you know, uh, part of part of what we think is maybe like the story uh you know and 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 the collapse of his universe and his rebirth caused him to forget a few things but because he remembers so much of his own story in detail about what happened in his universe it's just like selective amnesia that doesn't really make sense i could so it could though. so well well but here's what i'm thinking it could it could be, it could be the, along the lines of, you know, because Chrono was willing to kill and destroy so many people to protect this new universe, to keep the same thing from happening. Because what is he? is a scientist first and foremost. How many times have we seen this scientist concept? As, you know, I'm a scientist first and foremost. We have to do things according to the rule of science and, and, and the preservation of life, you know, and, and so on and so forth when it comes to time travel. When when people don't want to, when scientists don't want to allow a paradox or allow past inf- or future information to influence the past, and so on and so forth. So maybe maybe Relic was doing that. That's why he didn't say anything to any of the Lanterns, like I remember you or anything, is because he was withholding information because he doesn't want their future to infl- influence the past.
1: It's possible. I th- I also think it's very possible that his. Tr- transformation and going through you know basically going through the end of his universe carried over and physically being transported into our universe could have altered his memory and just like like we talked about even regarding the, the conceptually the story that maybe again these events are even though again the way Cullen ends the story would make you think not it's not necessarily the case but the idea yeah. that his interaction with the, these lanterns and seeing everybody fight over the light and seeing another universe pretty much you know, kind of either suffering his own f- the universe's fate or he perceives that they will because of the way they squabble over stuff, that that could have basically created the, the anger and the animosity towards the emotional spectrum even more. More than just guilt or him trying to save it, save the universe, just the idea that seeing that as the root cause of everything may have been that – he, that emotional response may have remained, but all the triggers that helped form it, all the triggers, not some, uh, I should say some of the triggers, not every single one of the I- triggers, some of those triggers were erased from his memory, or, or it's not even selective memory, It's we all know, me- I mean, memory by the almost by the nature of it is somewhat selective even when we're not doing it consciously, the way we remember things, that some, there are some events in our lives that we think we absolutely, some, sometimes we're right. But there are some events in our lives that we absolutely would swear to God, this is exactly the chain of events and how it happened and when it happened, but some, but then we find out or something, you know, we, there's some evidence that come, points up and it's like, oh yeah, I think I was wrong about that. Or you, you kind of combine the real events with things that you either wanted to happen or you, or you thought could have happened and, and as time and you move further away from the event, your recollection is not really 100% accurate. That's why eyewitnesses to crimes, while oftentimes so many of those, they tell different stories and they're not, and they get very few details right when you would think they, they wouldn't because it's just the way people remember things. So it could be a combination of things why he does not, he remembers certain things or he thinks things happen in a certain way, but maybe they didn't happen entirely that way.
0: So. Right. Uh, on to 12? 12. The Green Lantern Corps and Krona fight. They defeat him with the aid of Relic, who will not allow another universe to die. They ruin their chances of returning home, or so they think. Relic leaves to find some other way to save his universe. The Green Lantern Corps thinks they have been doomed to stay in this world. But Krona's experiments have punched holes between time and space, and they are pulled back through. They are vastly changed, of course, some wielding stabs, some wielding different light. When they reappear, they find themselves surrounded by the Sinestro Core, which is now the premier force of order in their universe. And we'll talk about the rest of it after we talk about the issue, since that's, the, the rest of it doesn't play into this specific issue, but what would come later, I guess, between a collaboration between Cullen and Venditti or something like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it will talk because because it, it's it's basically what would have happened if Hal Jordan the Green Lantern Corps book didn't become the book that it did. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, there isn't there isn't anything really that in issue twelve. Looking at the synopsis, there really isn't anything shocking. I don't think about that. I don't. I mean, you knew Green Lantern Corps and Chrono fighting it. That kind of was a given. Certainly, issue eleven made that clear. Uh, Relic at the end of the day siding with the Green Lanterns, that's that's not that surprising either just because, certainly based on everything we've come to know about Relic as a whole, because Relic is capable of choosing, you know, basically the lesser evil, even if it's temporary. <laughs> he, he's en- He's enough of a scientist or pragmatist to be able to differentiate between the immediate threat today versus the possible threat tomorrow. <laughs> So that doesn't surprise me. Uh, Relic going off to try to save his own universe, I think that was just a way to try to keep things, maybe to keep that timeline still more or less in the natural flow of things, how he was going to try to do more or less the Relic things play out the, for Relic the way we saw them play out in his origin issue. The I'd like, I do like the idea that the Green Lantern Corps was going to be different. I don't know how long they would have stayed with that idea, nor do I know how that idea would have actually played out once we got to see it full bore. But I like that idea, and I like the idea that by the time they've come back, almost in kind of like a, again some time travel like paradox, that they come back and they find themselves having been completely replaced by by the Sinestro Corps, in a, in a more in a positive way, like you know like Cullen ended the Sinestro book, not what we have not but we kind of got as we rolled into Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with anything you said there. I just think uh, it, the, the more interesting stuff comes for, from what happens as a result of the series ending this way. Uh, so I'll go ahead and get into that. And then this would lead to a new Sinestro Corps war. Are you listening, Corwin? (laughs) This would lead to a new Sinestro Corps war, only this time the Lanterns are the aggressors. They know that this emotion entity that the Guardians warn them of is coming, but the Sinestro Corps does not trust them. In time, this entity appears, and the various Lanterns must join forces to defeat it. In the aftermath, the Yellow and Green Lanterns, and even the others, start working together in a new way. At least something like that. <laughs> yeah. So that that would have been cool because it would almost bring things full circle. Like they learned a lesson from Relic's universe. You know, uh, it makes me also think, uh, w- did some of the power pyramids come with them across, you know, across the acro- – when they got transported back? Does that have an effect on the emotional spectrum? Is it suddenly, you know, <laughs> you because know, the, the, the entities at the end of Lights Out went into the source wall and it refilled everything back to 100% and all this stuff. Does, does the uh, power pyramids from the other universe being in our universe now put the, put the coffers at like 200%? You know what I mean? Like, does this buy our universe in the long run more time? Like, how does all that work? And plus it brings things full circle in terms of, you know, we saw in that Relic One-Shot issue the Lanterns cooperating for a long time. And, you know, they had like a (laughs) Jedi Council uh, of uh, all the different Lantern Corps, um, you know, uh, cities made of light, and so on and so forth. So it just be interesting to see that because – and I wonder how the – how the people who don't like, you know, Jeff Johns and what he did to the Green Lantern mythos would feel about something like that. Because then these other Lanterns almost become like heroes in their own right, rather than just being constant villains and aggressors for, you know, fighting for territory and stuff like that. So would you be happy that, I mean, obviously they'd be happiest, if, those people would be happiest if all of this was a race to begin with. Right. But would they be happier if, you know, the uh, the different colored lanterns weren't squabbling over territory and who's right and who's wrong and we're actually all working together. And then we focused on other threats. I don't think so. You still have to deal with the BS of... Uh, 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 to, to them, to them, not to us, but to them, you still have to be, deal with the BS of other colored lanterns, but is it, is it better if they're cooperating with each other rather than fighting with each other? If those are the stories you're getting.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure the answer to that is no. <laughs> the people who hate the emotional spectrum hate the emotional spectrum because one could e- just as easily make the case that if you had all the Lantern Corps working together mostly Kumbaya-like, that just means you're going to see more of them. As opposed yeah. to, as opposed to when they're bad guys and when they're when they're villains or when they're uh, plot devices, at least they come up, they'll come up once in a while, and you have to deal with it. But if you're lucky, for th- for those people, if you're lucky, maybe you know three uh, three out of four three out of four stories, or or more, maybe five out of every six stories, you don't have to deal with the other Lantern Corps. I this would probably increase the odds that you're going to be at least play 50-50 because you're probably going to you probably would have kind of like some of the conceptually potentially stuff we talked about that we wanted to see like like a Tales of the Core cores book where different lanterns or fo- not just focused on different cores but different groups of lanterns working together. Plus, we have to we we really would have to see we'd have to see how the uh, how the lantern's being changed, how that affected uh, the other cores going forward, because did they learn, like, from a technological perspective, even if the pyramids didn't come through, did they learn anything? Did they, because the, one of the interesting things about the synopses is after the Guardians show up out of the basement and tell them, oh, yeah, we did this for you, that other than that, the, the Guardians really aren't mentioned again in any of these synopses. Right. So, so Which is kind of weird that the Guardians aren't involved, at least at the end, dealing with Krona. But, uh, So, but maybe the Guardians learned, the Templar Guardians learned some of the technology, so then maybe they're able to change, you know, whether they're still using a ring or using a staff, maybe you're able to change color. And then how, and how that, because that concept would obviously change the nature, as we know it, of the emotional spectrum, too. It would, to me, the part about that, the thing that I liked that was really interesting is the fact that the Sinestro... That the Sinestro Corps, you know, was in command. They were they were the you know the most powerful police force in the universe, and people were still happy with that. <laughs> and it's not shocking that Sinestro, but you could because you you could almost see how this would play out based on where the characters were left off at the end of Cullen's run. That you would you could definitely see that Sora would be one who would be more willing to listen, and absolute and probably. Say Walker would be willing to listen if we really got the Cullen Bunn, our Killo, he might be opening to listening too. But you know, but Sinestro calling the shots. Sinestro is gonna just say, oh, this is the typical Guardians ploy, you know, and every and everything else. That now they're just trying to they're just trying to help take away power from the Sinestro Corps, just because the Sinestro Corps has you know has achieved it that this is just a ploy to try to basically subvert them. So yeah, but it goes back to again the status quo of how interesting things were left with, with Cullen in general and how so much of what he did and what he and he was doing and what could have done was cut off at the knees and then we get to the beginning of Howl and the Core where to me, I mean one of the big, no matter, no matter how the Venditti run ends the reality is how, the fact that it began with Sinestro who is a good strategic thinker Sinestro who always seems to have another plan um, right. And yeah, I, I know you could always retcon it, or maybe it's not retcon, but make it because maybe in the back of his mind, Robert did have a reason why Sinestro did something seemingly boneheaded, but yet there was a reason for it. Either way, the way it came across, what Sinestro did in the beginning of Hal and the Core was stupid. Absolutely friggin' stupid. He had achieved everything he had wanted, and basically. Kind of like you know, kind of like Hitler-esque becoming a you know that he had done everything legally. He had done nothing. He had done. He didn't usurp power. People gave him that power willingly because of the fact that he had proven himself. He had said, "Hey, you know, we could be wrong about you." Even like what's you know, but Superman and Wonder Woman and other people were saying after they helped save you know the Earth from the paling, that he had achieved this, and people had seemingly come around to his. To his vision of what the universe was, they were embracing him, and then to throw that out the window in two seconds of like, oh, they're on our side now. Let's fuck them over big time because you have had this, one, you had one shot, <laughs> you had one shot to do this with the way you, you know, to have people accept you and to think you may have changed or maybe your way wasn't wrong all along, and it was made no sense to just start sticking it to people, even the people that were loyal to them. You can make a case, you know, planets and some sectors that were still unwilling to. I could kind of see that, you know, kind of being the strong arm of the law and and, and using the the ability to instill fear to to further your cause. But you had so – the universe was willing to accept you. And that seemingly was Sinestro's goal all along was to basically replace the Guardians because their way of doing things were not – were outdated, were limited – it, they, you know, they had lack of planning, focus, vision, and he saw a better way of doing things. But he believed in the police force concept. He just knew the sun, the, the Green Lantern Corps just would never go far enough. So, and the, and the Guardians were a, long, a large reason why. So, this is what he he had achieved so much. Why would you flush it down the toilet in two seconds? So that made no sense whatsoever. You knew Cullen wouldn't have done something like that. And when you read the synopsis, clearly Cullen wouldn't have done something like that. <laughs> right.
0: All right. Well, do you want to move on to the next topic at hand?
1: Yeah, this will be. This will take a
0: while. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, we are talking about the original Green Lantern movie script. Now, are we are we 100% certain this is the first draft?
1: Well, it says first draft, so that's all we can all go right. by. Right, which is All kind right. of which is kind of funny because up until like I went back to reread it, I, I forgot I forgot that it said first draft on the page. I just knew that it was. So the fir- the first draft on this version of the script, which we're going to make available, we're going to post a link to this uh, on just on the page, right? Just on the page yep. for, this for the on the episode page. Yes, yeah,
0: so if you're if you want to read the thing in its entirety, go to lanterncast.com and click and click on the link for this episode. Uh, and it'll be available there. Uh, a shortcut to find it as well would be uh, you know www.lanterncast.com forward slash Green Lantern mov.pdf. Do betcha. <laughs> so.
1: So this is this script of Green Lantern was dated June 9th, 2008. So essentially, approximately, this is about two and a half years before the actual movie was created. Uh, was filmed before produ- you know, actual fin- principal photography started in the beginning of... Uh, actually, no, let me take that back. The movie was released in 2011. The movie was released in 2011, so principal photography was 2010. So this was probably about a year about a year and a half, <coughs> a year and a half before the movie started filming. Uh, the, the interesting thing is, of course, we talked about this before in, in context to Ryan Reynolds, that clearly when you have this script in front of you, the idea that, and again, I'm sure not to take a shot. I'm sure what Ryan Reynolds really meant was the script was still being worked on, and was being rewritten when the movie was being filmed. But he did pretty much come out and say that it didn't. He in, certainly insinuated that the movie didn't have a script. And as and as we had said, I think before, because of because we already had had this floating around that. You can't say the movie didn't have a script because the script is a version of the script is here. <laughs> and yes, there were changes, and we're going to talk about the differences and, and some of the things that made some of the things, the interesting things that have made it through all the way, which is for better or for worse. There are some things that absolutely made it were constants in these scripts because you can see it in the first draft, and a version of it made it into the final movie. But there was a script, and the basic blueprint for the Green Lantern movie. And I think Chad will agree, while there are some changes to it, and there are, you know, and the emphasis on different things at different times, the basic blueprint for this movie didn't change all that much. Right. There's a lot. I mean, the Green Lantern Corps, inter- you know, the Green Lantern Corps' role changes a little bit. They, they have more of a role, probably, in this movie uh, towards the end, and we'll talk about that. But the Green Lantern Corps technically played a role in the end of the movie we got too just much more of a passive role <laughs> just more of a just showing up with the last second role moment but so the so chat i'm sure chat has notes i have notes which are more prompts as in i have notes like regarding different things on different pages but i'm going to be scrolling through this uh i'm going to be scrolling through this as we go and talk about the important things so the mo- so basically the, right right in the beginning the thing that strikes you when you read the script is the narrator is is different. We ended up getting Tomare as the narrator, which was a good which was good and was a very simple way of giving you a history of the Green Lantern Corps and at, and in our movie the actual movie throwing in some pa- ties to Parallax and an Abin and and stuff like that. This narrator by a character who will be known as Pipe throughout most of the script. That basically this is. He is giving this speech. Is it like in media res? We will catch up to the moment in the actual movie when and where he's delivering the speech, which is essentially <laughs> when, when he's announcing to the to the to the Earth, to the world, that we are not alone in the universe. There are alien, you know, there's besides the fact that there are aliens, that there's an alien, basically there's an intergalactic police force, and now guess what? We actually have a member of them. But this narration by pipe is being uh, uh, cut into. Also, we're getting cuts and scenes of green of the Green Lantern Corps doing Green Lantern things, uh, making light constructs, flying through space, all this stuff. Now, I got to tell you, the thing that struck me when I reread the script, almost literally the second line in the script, the longest, fastest, continuous pullback ever begins.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right off the bat, that kind of told you this script was not going to be the godfather. <laughs> There's a lot... I mean, I my overall narration, I mean, I'm going to try to stick by point, but I have to tell you, there are some, at t- there are some parts of the script just the way it's written, which makes you wonder, who the hell did you think was going to be reading the script? Because <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, I mean, if you knew, if you knew somebody was like into some of this like really weird way or just almost like writing like an 18-year-old, writing a scre- screenplay, and that does and that's not insulting the concepts in the movie so much, but it, I, I'm, I'm going to point some of the, these things out. It does, there are things that, in my mind's eye, if you're writing a script for some, for a studio head to read, you wouldn't be writing it this way or putting in some of the things you put in this script, just because it's like, oh, that does not really work. But it just, that whole thing just seems, you know, it's so heavy-handed and it's like a hyperbole, the longest, fastest, continuous pullback ever begins. <laughs> like, no! Um... So so after we get to the end of Pipe's speech when he's basically he's saying one of us now one of them a Green Lantern, then of course then we cut back to uh you know we we kind of cut back to the requisite Hal Jordan Martin Jordan moment which I will say I would think you'll agree that the Martin Jordan aspect of this in is a lot heavier in this script Mm -hmm. than in the movie some of it works. Some of the ties into Martin Jordan, I think, it, especially at the end, I think that kind of works. But there's a lot more Martin Jordan, Hal Jordan flashback stuff in this movie that, pro- so I could see why they took some of that out. But you, inst- you know, but after the intro, you you cut to you know 15, 15 years ago, and basically you're getting to the you know the test flight that ends up uh, killing Martin. Martin Jordan and we have the and we get to we kind of see the relationship between Martin Jordan and, and Carl Farris which are kind of set up to be like best friends in the mm-hmm. script uh, you still have the natural relationship between Carol and Hal which probably is also maybe even more kind of is more natural when you think about it from a, from a plotting perspective if they're Despite the fact that you have father and employee, you know you have a boss and employee being their fathers respectively. The fact that their fathers have this close f- actual friendship, it probably explains more why these two kids would be would be as close as they were and turned out to continue to be. Um, so we deal with the Mar- we deal with Martin Jordan and his uh, saber. That's his that's his uh, call name. We deal with him his death, and we have Hal you know, waiting for his chute to open after the explosion, which is kind of an ongoing kind of theme in this, again, we're dealing with flashbacks, and it's a cool scene with Hal and Carol, some dialogue that relates to that uh, Hal, the moment when he's calling and and hoping that his father's chute opens up. Uh, After this flashback, now we kind of cut to Nat, we kind of cut to... uh, Today, Space Sector twenty eight fourteen, we have Abensor flying in his ship, and he's and, he, and instead of talking to Sinestro, he talks to Tomarae. which is kind of interesting because in this script, essentially Tomaray and Sinestro's role in many ways are flipped. That Tomaray and Sinestro, Tomar Ray talks to Abensor instead of Sinestro, and Sinestro has has basically is the contact point for Hal instead of Tomara So it's kinda it was an interesting an interesting flip. Uh, we we find out that at least we get a, I think, for my opinion, we get a decent explanation for why Abin Sur is actually in a ship instead of just flying. That basically, he th- that he thinks it's much, it's much more, you know, res- a much more respectful way for returning a dead Green Lantern because that's what he's doing. He's bringing back, you know, he's bringing back another, you know, another fallen Green Lantern and as Tomar points out, there's three lanterns that were slaughtered before before this one and I like Abin, says that, you know, there's no cause to spread fear. Uh, Essentially, at this point in the screenplay, we get where, and I got to point out, Abin Sur, you know, reacting this way with a holy fuck shit, to react. That's supposed. That's not as dialogue. That's supposed to be the kind of reaction <laughs> Abin Sur has. It's like holy. Who would write something like that? <laughs> did that bother you at all? Or did you just think that was stupid? Didn't bother me. Didn't bother you at all? No. Um. But did you think it was appropriate? <laughs>
0: It, it, it didn't
1: bother me. Okay. Uh, the, him saying "Great Krona bothered me maybe a little bit more. Like, like saying Krona's name is this great. You know, Great Guardians, yes. Great Krona no. Um, but essentially, in in our movie, where Parallax attacks Abin Sur, this is where Legion attacks Abin Sur, and we get an explanation in this script that, that which is kind of makes sense on one level why they ended up flipping to Parallax, besides the fact that Parallax is a, is a better-known villain, that in this movie, we find out later on in the explanation that basically Legion is more or less a living entity or embodiment of fear, which is not what it started out to be. It was just all fear being gathered up, and we get an explanation for why, but that all kind of, like, pooled together, was shut, you know, was shuttled away somewhere, shuttered away, and then it became a living, breathing ent- fear entity, if you will, and... So it basically acts as Parallax does in the movie. There is no relationship between Abensur and Parallax. I mean in Abensur and Legion like there was with Parallax. Abinsur, you know, gets attacked, he uses his you know, his full ring blast of Legion, it doesn't it doesn't really work. Um Abin uses the guns on his ship to fire a legion He, you know he does everything he can to get away and, a- and Abin Sura basically you know gets, he pro- gets propelled you know bursts through one of Saturn's rings and legion is lost in the distance but at this point now of course Abin Sura has his gaping wound which will lead to his death and Abin Sura ca- makes you know basically he calls you know, to Oa and goes using his ring. It's like, you know, this is Abansur, chosen protector of sector 2814. I have seen what hunts us. Legion, it lives. The ring holds no effect, no defense. You must take action. Legion is real. I have escaped, but not with my life. I shall proceed to the nearest sentient planet for selection. Um, so, so at this, so, while Abansur is basically heading to earth, dying, uh, we we get basically we get this we get this a similar version to what we got in the actual movie which is the the testing of these robot of these automatic of uh, robotic droid controlled if you whatever I AI driven ships which are named these ships are what called sabers which basically is kind of I guess an homage to to Martin Jordan uh, and basically they're trying to get of uh, spending they're trying to get these there's a senator here, which we'll come to find out later on. We'll come to find out that this senator is uh, Hector Hammond's dad. That, but they're trying to at this point get appropriation money from from the government for for what you know for this these planes that they're they're working on. Um, <clears throat> this is we get cut. You know, we get a, a scene cut while basically Carol is explaining you know what you know why we think this is the way to go and why you know. There's problems with pilots being irresponsible and being cocky, and of course, this cuts to our first intro as what adult Hal Jordan, who basically had just been banging this yoga instructor, who, uh, and, and some of some of their banter, I'm gonna say some of their banter was kind of interesting, and then and then of course we find out that you know she she lied to him about breaking up with a boyfriend, and then we have the introduction of a character known as motherfucking huge boyfriend. Again, I have a problem with that. I just think that's not very, from my perspective, it's. I just think that's very unprofessional to label and that that is literally the the character's name in the screenplay is motherfucking huge boyfriend. Uh, so so Hal pretty much uh Hal gets out of there once he once he grabs his bomber jacket, um, because this is the, when Hal's supposed to be on his way, just like in the original movie, the movie we got where Hal overslept because he was sleeping with his chick and, get, and he was oversleeping for the test flight that he was supposed to take place in well that's the same kind of scenario uh, and there's a lot of dialogue between the difference between pilots and everything else and uh, and again the, the advantages of AI versus pilots there's a lot of that you know how Hal, how you know pretty much <laughs> he, he gets to the airfield at, the, kind, of at the, kind of at the nick of time. And <clears throat> Hal pretty much beats the ships the exact same way. You know, the, the ships are basically a program not to do they basically there's no there's no independent thinking, so they're basically designed to just, you know, follow suit. So they basically follow Hal into like the coffin corner and he takes and he takes the plane his plane up to the point where it's gonna stall out and you know, the AI doesn't know any better, so Hal kinda beats Hal kinda beats them the same way. And but well, there's a there's a little subplot about Hal making a bet with Carol, right, about going to dinner. If Hal wins, mm-hmm. if Hal wins this, which of course Hal does. Uh, now the the sh- it's, let's see the uh how the ships and this this version is a what's somewhat different because the ship the Sabers return safely, right? And then didn't they blow up? Didn't one or more mm-hmm. blow up in the in the original movie? Didn't they? Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. So the Sabres are able to restart their engines and, and land safely. But basically because ha- – so in this version, it's not because the ships were destroyed that Hal – they took like a shot to the – a shot to the Groon for Ferris Aircraft. It was more because he basically embarrassed their test program and what – how Carol and Carl Ferris were trying to sell this to the Senators. So basically they believe they have shot their, their, their real shot at getting the appropriation money for this program – is they feel it's kinda it's kinda out the window. Uh <clears throat> yeah, Hal you know you know, Hal kinda like you know, he's you know, he's confident, you know, he's you know, he's just kinda cocky that uh that he kind of proved his point of how important pilots are and Carol of course is like how stupid are you? And Hal, and, and, and Hal being Hal is kind of, hey, you know, uh, we should, uh, I'm thinking about like 8 o'clock tomorrow. You could come by my place and we have a drink first and I'm being, ca- and I'm going casual. And and, he, and he's like, remember the bet, remember? And Carol's like, you know, if you'll excuse me, I have to go call your mother, which is another change in the script that Hal's mother is actually alive and in the script. And she's not a factor in the actual movie that we got. Um, oh, she, is,
0: she is in the extended cut.
1: Is she at? Is she, Oh, she's. But she, is that the flashback?
0: No, she's in the in the film uh, at at the kids' party. She doesn't say anything to Hal, but she gives him a look from the other room.
1: Oh, okay. And we're sure that's his, and it absolutely was his mom based on age, because I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that didn't make it into the theatrical version.
0: Uh, it could have it. Uh, but it's for sure in the extended cut.
1: But in the, in the theatrical cut, she had no dialogue, right?
0: I don't think she had a di- dialogue in either. She was just she was in the living room because of the the conversation with Jack and but Jim I mean,
1: but I'm sorry is I, taking I, place in the kitchen. I mean, in the and not in this version. In that in in the version we got one way or the other, which is the version that was filmed, she doesn't say anything. Yes, yeah, but, but in this movie, she has she has some dialogue. Uh, so we kind of have. Same the same thing about his, his nephew's birthday party you know Hal's kind of Hal's kind of on on his way to do that Abin you know Abin ship you know is cra- crashes to Earth in this in this version of the script we do have which a lot of people have already heard about that the ring that we get to see who the ring didn't choose we get a few people who the ring basically ch- Passed over, which is interesting, because obviously one is one is Clark Kent. It passes over Clark Kent, and we have it passes over Guy Gardner. Though they they purposely write, (laughs) and I do I kind of like this on one level though. It's a little again presumptuous to assume there's going to be a second film, but they write it in a a way to make it clear that you really don't need to cast who's ever going to be Guy Gardner now, because you more or less just see the name on his jersey. Uh, You know. Uh, you just see the name on uh, the because his coach has a name on his jacket, pretty much that says Gardner. So, you, so we all know it's Guy Gardner, but he plays no other role in the script, so there was no need to cast him now. But they addressed the fact that he's a hero we'll meet in the this, in, this, in the second film. So just like in the original movie, you know, uh, you know, when when he's dealing with his brothers, they kind of they already know about you know what you know this version of what happened, you know, the embarrassment, if you will, of what happened happened at Ferris. Uh, you know, Helen Jordan. You know, now Helen Jordan does come into the script. And it's like, you know, risking your life to prove a point after what this family has been through. You know, your father would be so disappointed. And Hal's like, well, he, well, well, he's dead. So, and kind of this, there's, I mean, there's douchey moments of Hal in in the movie that we got, but there are there are a lot more douchey moments I think in the screenplay uh, at different times. Um, so, Hal interacts with Nathan, which is his, his nephew, and, you know, they have an, in, you know, they have an, in, they, you know, they talk about, you know, the galactic exploration division, top level research stuff, How, you know, Hal's talking to Nathan about this, and it's kind of funny that Nathan seems to, Nathan seems to be, like, a little ahead of his time when it comes to, uh, his knowledge of things in the way, in his perception on things. He kind, of, in a way, he's kind of brighter than Hal when it comes to common sense. Uh, while they're having this conversation, a green ball of light. First, he, Hal sees it. Basically, a streak. F- first, it's overhead. Then it hovers over Hal. Then the ball of light moves through Hal's body. And you know, while this is going on, we we kind of cut to Oa. This is the first time we really get to Oa, and we see Sinestro training with what you know, with a you know, with a horned alien, and of course Sinestro is owning this alien pretty well. Tomar Ray contacts him, and Sinestro's like, not today, Tomar, I'm too tired to fight underwater, but Tomar's look kind of just makes it clear that, you know, it's really, really important. Now we, so, we, this is a moment in, in this movie where basically we find out, we see the Guardians for the first time, and we, we find everybody becomes aware of Abensur's death, and Sinestro is really upset. And you know the guardian. The guardians mourn with you, which you could just imagine the Guardian saying it in the most cold fashion possible. And Sinestro is like, when the first lantern fell, I came to this council and was told to do nothing. Were you asked that the same mindless devotion? Were you asked that same mindless devotion of me now? Something is out there, strong enough to kill three lanterns. Now four. We must fight back. We must arm ourselves. And the Guardians, you already wield the greatest weapon the universe has ever known. What greater arms would you carry? And Sinestro, you know better than I that there is a light more powerful than this. So that in this version, it's clear, in this version of the script going throughout, Sinestro knows a lot more about the Guardians' baggage that our movie, Sinestro, did. That he already knows about the yellow light. He already knows the yellow light, at least from the Guardians' perspective, is stronger than the green light, and we also find out that the whole background on Legion, which essentially is that the the Guardians try to trap all the yellow light once they realized, once they tried to harness it, and of course it didn't work out. It was too strong for them to harness. They gathered all the fear in the universe. And they banished it to the Lost Sector, which we also find out is the dumping ground for all the Guardian's mistakes, which when I read that line made me think, wow, there must be like no elbow room in the Lost Sector. Because <laughs> that just means there's a whole lot of crap in the Lost Sector, pretty much, uh, that we would probably get to see eventually. But Sinestro, basically because of the book of Oa, the hidden you know, stuff you're not supposed to read, but he read, he knows pretty much about almost all of this stuff. I mean, Legion may have been a legend that people knew of, you know, Legion. People knew of the concept of Legion, and and the, and the yellow light. Sinestro knew about. So he's not in the no pun intended. He's not in the dark about this stuff the way the Mark Strong version was, where he where he was shocked to find out that the Green Lantern ring wasn't the most powerful ring in the universe, or the most powerful, most powerful universe and light in the universe. Uh. Um. So so, so, so you know so, so and Sinestro was a little more blatantly insubordinate in I think this version of the script. Which I kind of like. It's, it fits the character more. He's, so after, you know, after Hal finishes up dealing with uh, you know dealing with uh, the party and his brothers, he gets into his car. Basically, his whole car gets surrounded by green energy. The car gets the car gets you know lifted off the ground. Which probably would have been a cool effect to see, the flying car. Uh, and the car, but the car is also cloaked, so the you know because Hal's hot flying in the air. There's a Cessna flying near him, but the Cessna doesn't see him at all because he's bathed in green energy and he's cloaked. Abinsor calls to him, and you know that's when he talks about you, know, you have been chosen by the Guardians of the Universe as the bravest of your world. Come, you know, come to join the bravest of all the world, the Green Lantern Corps. Yada yada. Uh, then then he, I like this part of his dialogue you know without the core there would only be fear and chaos because one of the things we find out which kind of echoes the classic kind of like the Krona actually to me it works with either version of what Krona did but it's the idea that the Guardians by gathering up what they gathering up all the lightning the fear in the universe and they ended up basically setting the stage to, to unleash chaos in the universe which was not their goal but hey it's it's the guardians uh, basically Hal's the, the energy being the energy, I guess, from the ring dies at this point. The ring is depleted. So, so poor Hal, his his Mustang crashes in, it crashes into the ground. It gets totaled. Hal's okay. He he pops out, and he finds Abin sur ship, and he finds Abin Sur and one of and you know the interesting thing is most of, a lot of this would you agree a lot of this dialogue is a, it's certainly the the gist of it stays the same. Mm-hmm. There's not much there's not much that's changed including the whole thing hang on I'll get you to, we'll get you to a hospital that carries purple blood. That was in the original draft so it's always interesting to see some of these things that m- make it all the way through to the final film and that was one of them. Uh Abinsur trying, you know, Abinsur saying place the ring, speak the oath. That was there. Uh you know, th- this ring will take you to what you cannot yet dream. Have Ab- Avensor says um <clears throat> Evan sir, die, you know, Evan sir dies. Hal contacts Tom to come get him. Uh, so this that that kind of stays that kind of stays intact. We have a we have a flashback scene you know at Martin Jordan's funeral. Uh, it was it's very short but it, it's another throw in with Martin Jordan. Tom comes to pick Hal Tom comes to pick Hal up. And mind you, Tom in this movie is also written to be a great A classic nerd. Living with his, you know, living with his mom, um, just just the way he's described literally as that in the script. So not that he wasn't, not that he didn't come across nerdish to begin with, but he definitely came, but he may have come across more techy, but maybe not 100% nerdy, if there is a difference. But in this movie, I think they're absolutely portraying him. While he obviously is, he's a you know a strong uh, mechanic, that the point is that he they really play up the nerd aspect in this. Similar similarities. You know, uh, you see the, the body of Abin, you know, the, he sees that sir was buried after he sees the, you know, he sees that some, somebody was buried after the space, after he sees the spaceship. <laughs> the whole, the same line about the ring, you know, he proposed that was in this script too. So that line made it all the way through. Uh, they, uh, Hal, I mean, Tom, Tom pretty much agrees that, you know, he's going to get Hal out of there now, but he's, you know, he's going to come back for the ship, you know, because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come back for your wreck tomorrow, but we just can't leave this out here. We need to, you know, we need to take it to my place. Uh, basically, his mom's place, as Hal points out. Now, now we have an intro, we have the reintroduction of pipe in current, in current time. And basically, they are examining the, the crash, the, where, you know, where the crash site was. And they basically, it's like, uh, it's like, we've excavated, excavated the grave, but we can't find any sign of the ship because Tom took, Tom basically took the ship. But they find Abans make sure grave, and they take Sur's body for examination. This introduces Hector Hammond into the script, much like he gets introduced in our movie. He basically, he is brought in to examine the body again. Not, However,
0: me- there is no child Hector Hammond. Hector has no ties to yes, Al and yes, Carol.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I was going to throw that in. But... Uh, which we don't which doesn't become clear to later on in the script but yes this one of the changes in the script is this Hector Hammond has no ties to Hal, no ties to Carol They didn't go to school together there's no relationship. He's only jealous of Hal because of his power and because, and because of the fact he's able to read Hal's mind later in the script and that's how he knows of Carol so it's not so he's just so he's jealous on that basic level but it's not but he's not hasn't had this envy of Hal his whole life and he also hasn't wanted Carol his whole life so that is a change I kind, even though they don't obviously don't all look like age wise they should have gone to school together I'd kind of like the change in the real script better but Hmm. like in the real movie uh, Hector more or less gets this job just because of his connections to his father because his clearance because pipe can get this guy cleared pretty quickly Uh, nice little homage here Hector's boss is named John Broom and for those who don't remember or don't know Chad who is John Broom
0: (laughs) Creator of Silver Age Green Lantern, Hal Jordan,
1: along with Gil Kane, but yeah, uh, but yes, he mm-hmm. is the so that that that's one of the most overt tie-ins to all. You know, we, we we always have like names, you know, to uh, creators and things, but but they usually don't become like full bore characters. <laughs> Maybe that's why they changed it. I don't know, but it is it is kind of it is kind of interesting. Uh, uh, we get Tom and Hal going back to. Tom's place, hiding, hiding the ship, you know, Hector, Hector you know, so we, we have Hector Hammond, more or less, the whole idea, he examines Abin's, he does examine Abin's body, and this is being, you know, this is cut, or being intercut with Hal doing, discovering the oath, and some of it's the same thing, like I do solemnly swear to pledge allegiance to the Lantern, but the cool thing about Hal, in this, doing the oath, is that basically, when, you know, when Hal gets the ring close enough, you know, to the, to the battery, more or less, it's like a hologram. That that there's a the ring projects a hologram, and you can and it emanates from the lantern, and you can see it scrolling through all these different alphabets until it basically picks the one that Hal Jordan is going to understand, which I think would have been cool to see. Uh, and that's when and that's when Hal, you know, that's when Hal, you know, reads the oath for the first time. And this is being intercut with Hal, with uh, Hector Hammond. Uh, Basically finding a, a piece of shrapnel, which is a piece of legion in this script, not a piece of parallax, but it basically does the same exact thing in this script that parallax does. Hector gets infected by it, and it gives Hector his 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 mental powers, uh. Just like uh, just like it, kind of like what happened in the movie that we got. Carol shows up right at this time because they're, they're supposed to be going out on their, they're supposed to be going out on their date, and they do. Uh some of the there's some interesting you know, there's some interesting dialogue between Hal and Carol which I liked when Carol points out not that not that she's uh, it's not that she's taking a shot at Hal at all but Carol points out that that we all lost something that day. The day Martin died, we all lost something. You know, she points out. You know, my father lost his best friend. Not to mention your brothers. You know, your, or your mom. But we all moved on. And then, and Hal kind of calls her on this and goes, "What did you lose?" And she's like, "Excuse me." It's like you said everyone lost something. I want to know what did you lose. And she points out, which is kind of an interesting take, it's like, uh, what didn't I? After my dad's breakdown, my parents split up, the company nearly folded, which led to me not going away to school, which led to me missing out on all the things I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to see the world, not just the town I grew up in. You know, life's full of disappointment, Hal. It's still no excuse to wallow in self-pity and selfishness, and he's like, if that's how you feel, why do you even bother with me? And she cuts him off and she goes, because when I look at you, no matter what I do, I still see that kid searching for his dad's parachute. I like that part. I thought that was kind of, I thought that was effective. Now, now we kind of go, I'm talking about switching gears. Uh. Carol's like, since when did the lobsters become impossible to open? They didn't. They clearly didn't bring a cracker for the lobster. She asked the waiter for one, and, and Hal's like, I'll get it for you. Hal, because he seemingly wishes, you know, to open the lobster. All of a sudden, this, you know, a huge hammer comes out of, comes out of his ring as a construct and smashes the hammer. Uh, and so I guess supposedly, not only does it splat, does it make the splat? It does And even though it says splat, but yet. I guess it doesn't make any kind of noise out of the ordinary because she just turns around and goes, "Oh, you got it." But 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 a little kid sitting next to Hal actually sees this and it's like uh, and Hal Hal excuses himself, you know, you know, you know he he, he kind of he calls Tom and it's, and he's trying to kind of explaining exactly what happened while Tom's working on, you know, Aventure, spaceship, then you know the I hate to say it again, but the motherfucking huge boyfriend shows up. With his friends, which against, which basically is this this script's version of when Hal got beat up by the other pilots, and the uh, other people that are in, that everybody else who got screwed over because of Hal's stunt in the in the movie. Now Jenna's boyfriend and his, and his friends show up, and and basically this is where Hal's gonna Hal's getting beat up, and then because of his will and determination, he creates the glowing green fist that you know beats that beats you know beats the crap out of them. Um... So, you know, as it, you know, as it does this, you know, how more or less, uh, you know, this is, this is the scene where, you know, Hal essentially uh, ends up getting transported, it's, it's on his way to being transported to, to Oa. Uh, but, but in the,
0: in, but in the movie, it's when he creates that first construct, and in here... It's after his first test flight.
1: Yes, because he takes the ring. He does take the ring for a flight a- afterward, trying to, you know, trying to like time to open her up and things like that. So he's basically he's basking in the glow, basking in the glow of the ring. And then of course, uh, this this times into another what another flashback of, of Martin Jordan. And my it ties into Martin Jordan's death basically. He just uh, but you know how you know but. You know how you know he just keeps creating another sonic boom. It's like you know, it's like a 18, you know, Mach, you know, angels 18 Mach 3. You know, you know, his kaleidoscope of light and color. He's you know he's doing all this and uh now we now we cut to Hec- we cut to Hector and this is when Hector's powers first start to demonstrate and become clear. Uh, he examines his own blood cells. So just like in the movie, this is when he finds out that he's basically been infected. Uh, there's some, there's some cute little banter here with him reading people's minds, and for better or for worse, whether you think it's justified or not, you can feel a little bit sorry for Hector because the way people are always thinking these shitty thoughts about him. Though one can make the case, because it's human beings, probably these people would be thinking shitty thoughts about almost everybody they encounter, but Hector's the only one who can actually read their minds. Uh, Hector finally get you know, Hector kind of like takes it out on... Um, Hector kind of likes this is when Hector kind of ex- starts using his power on uh, on on John as we find out on John Broom. We find out that he makes it all throughout the movie. He starts playing experimenting with him once once he has his powers and he makes him do some crappy things like rotten, knocking over banks and all this stuff. Uh, we go back to Oa, which basically you know Hal kind of wakes up in this hotel like setting, which seems really weird, but he is wearing. You know, he's wearing his, as they point out, his green and black Green Lantern uniform. He's even he's wearing the classic uh, Green Lantern mask. Hal, like, kind of, he wakes up and is like, "Am I back home?" And Sinestro says, "In the grand sense, yes. First ring flight triggers a manual return here to Oa for training." And then he's like, "Why does outer space look like a Hyatt?" Which was kind of a cool line. And then Sinestro waves at a panel, which makes the moon warp to a strange alien design and back again, so it becomes clear that the whole room is a hologram. And how he he just thought this would be more of a familiar surrounding pretty much for Hal to ease in ease into this. Uh, Hal asks who Sinestro is, and before ha- Sinestro can finish, basically Hal's ring answers for him, just like kind of related to you know Tomar the same conversation between Hal and Tomar in the movie. Uh, and then we you know we. I like the conversation about the uniform, and Sinestro points out Damascus Protocol required to be worn by all lanterns from planets still ignorant on life on other worlds. Few lanterns wear them. <laughs> that's that's that is a really nice Sinestro line. It's kind of like a super condescending Sinestro line all at once. It's like you know, pretty much pretty much only the bottom of the barrel, people who the the lowest on the evolutionary ladder in a way of of of. Members of the core would still wear masks, and guess what? You're one of them. <laughs> um, it's we, it's kind of an ongoing, I guess, gag in here that or that Earth is not really Earth we've, as far as the Guardians in the core. Earth is Gaia or Gaia, probably Gaia. Uh, and I do like I also like the fact that Sinestro asked, "Do you do you all still believe the planet is flat?" <laughs> it's Like we've got that worked out now. Thanks. Um,
0: not anymore, apparently.
1: <laughs> there's there's always a few in every crowd, as we found out. We get now. Hal does meet Tomar finally. We find out, and Tomar introduces himself since he's he's a sector, uh, the lantern of the sector closest to his own. And this is we get the introduction about the translator of the ring. then more or less the ring translate 98% of the rings known universes, and surprisingly, your English is among them. And that actually was a line from Tomar, not Sinestro. Sinestro still kind of takes the company not line. Your ring is the most powerful weapon in the universe, and its constructs are limited only by your imagination, and its strength only limited by your will. So that's kind of a common thing. Uh, we have a, the introduction of Kilowog. Kilowog's line about you smell funny—that that's obviously carried over. We get the intro to the central power battery, and I kind of this there's some interesting dialogue here, which for better or for worse, depending how you like the ending of the script, it directly ties into it but I think it's a halfway decent explanation for how green fits into the emotional spectrum and once Hal gets shown the the battery and Sinestro's uh, and Hal's like oh so this is what makes all that green Sinestro green the light you see is only a manifestation of what your mind cannot comprehend Hal you lost me at manifestation Sinestro all life is connected by love by hope by all the noblest instincts of the soul this is the center of that connection the power drawn from that connection is what you see simply as green, as he gestures to the power battery. All that power, collected, channeled, here delivered, and to us. What did you think about that explanation of what, what the battery was in, in, in green and related to like the spectrum?
0: I mean, it was okay, but I prefer Tomar Ray's uh, explanation in the movie.
1: And probably based on the way the ending we got, probably Tomar's works better. <laughs> Uh, we get we get a surprise cameo by Abin Sir's widow. We didn't get that in our in our movie. Uh, she you know she's kind of there. They're kind of like having a more or less a, like, like a wake or a, a viewing viewing line something to that something equivalent to that kind of ceremony for Abin Sir. You know she goes straight to Hal because she can, she can sense that he's he's wearing Abin's ring and Abin Hal basically lies to to Liana, Sir Sur about. That, you know, Abin, you know, the last thing he said before he died was to tell you that he loved you. Uh, And these words comfort her by her reaction. She's greatly comforted by this. And as soon as, you know, as soon as they leave and it's just Sinestro and Hal again, Sinestro's like, you lied to her and think it kind. You are human. So that's, that's another, that's another, like, real Sinestro kind of, like, quality there. But because of uh, Hal touches the base of the central power battery and then all of a sudden his ring flickers and the hologram manifests itself, we kind of have this uh, explanation that Fallen Lantern will sometimes dictate a final transmission to reveal itself before the central power battery. And we basically get Abinsur's uh, – we, we rewatch Abensur's space flight with Legion, the fight with Legion, and we also find out – we get a replay of his final message that we saw recorded later on. Now in front of the Guardians, uh, Abinsur, excuse me, Sinestro and, 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 and Hal <clears throat> are replaying Abinsur's met hologram over and over again to the Guardians, and Sinestro is re- <laughs> really, really pissed at this point, basically saying, at least it's like, uh, you know, we need to do something about this now. It's like, now it's time to use a golden light to match legions. If our enemies command such a power, we must too. And the Guardians basically agree that an action must be taken, but the only action they agree on is, basically, gather your lantern, seek out the beast, and contain it. And then the one Guardian says, well, return with legion defeated, and we will consider your request. And it becomes p- pretty clear that Sinestro doesn't really buy buy into this. Sinestro's expecting health, you know, Hal to come along because he's a member of the core. Which is kinda interesting as we get juxtaposed later on in the script that the Guardians would seemingly be okay with this, but not with Hal requests, but I guess but maybe it gets like a, a middle finger to Hal for doing this. But Hal makes it clear he has no desire to get involved in this, that basically, you know, him getting this ring as far as he's concerned, you know, that doesn't make the, a giant space monster his problem. And Sinestro kinda plays up the ring shows you, the ring does not m- make mistakes. And Hal's like, ah, you know, I trust me, and I'd make, lanterns make mistakes, Sinestro points out, but the rings don't. And Hal's like, and I'd make a million of them, trust me, it's like, and so, Sinestro, and this is kind of like a little self-serving for the plot, it's like, Legion was in your sector, Hal, in your home system. If any trace, conveniently, if any trace of that demon fell to your planet, like why would one think it necessarily would, I don't, uh, it will ravage your home world like a cancer. And Hal's kind of like, see, the ring did make a mistake because another guy he would care. So that's that's kind of like super douchey, Hal Jordan. Mm. Uh, so that so I'm glad they kind of corrected that. Hal base, you know, Hal uses the Hal uses the ring to you know to take him back to Earth. Hector Hammond basically c- continues to test his mental abilities mostly on on broom. And he kind of you know he kind of use uses broom as a puppet. He's trying to but he's you know. He's was able to levitate. You know, he does all. You know, he he lifts things. You know, he's able to move things, anything with his mind. He is kind of having problems. You know, getting them to like to have other people talk. You know, to speak through that. You know, to talk and speak through their through their, uh, their the other people's mouths. He's trouble mastering all that in the beginning. But 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 he's he's kind of he's kind of at kind of you know, working towards it. We have the similar scene between Hector and his dad. In the movie, in this script, this is the first time we find out that that senator in the, in the beginning of the movie was Hector Hammond's father. That part is not made crystal clear in the script until here, which is like page 49. So we're more than halfway through this, about halfway through. And we saw the same basic relationship between the two where, you know, no matter what Senator Hammond says to Hector Hammond, because of his ability to read his mind, we know he's kind of being, he's kind of being douchey, uh, and he doesn't have a lot of respect for Hector. He kind of thinks... He doesn't think much of him, and he thinks he's a loser. Yeah, how, how, you know, how, you know, how you know, returns, how returns to Earth. He's he's kind of late. Um, again, shocking. How Jordan, uh, he lands, he, he lands like a by a hangar at Ferris Aircraft, like in his full uniform. So miraculously enough, only Tom gets, only Tom sees him. Uh, we've, we've the idea of trying. They're a great idea of trying to get Senator Hammond to try to, con, I guess, to con, s- still consider the idea of appropriation funds and to basically let him fly a plane again. <laughs> One of the reasons to let, him, to let him fly an F-16 again and because Senator Hammond was a, a former pilot. Uh, astro- astronaut too, right? Something like that? Because didn't he mention that he flew the space shuttle? Um,
0: I think so. I think so.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, uh Hal's you know, Hal's car is totaled even though Tom went to get it and Tom doesn't get any like appreciation for towing it back. Hal at this point he's he's sick of everything to do with the ring he takes the ring sticks it in the, in the glove compartment of, of uh, his car which is kind of weird. Uh, now we get Sinestro in this version we get the Sinestro speech we got in the real movie for the most part except of course Hal's not there the we are the core speech in which he's got you know uh, he conjures up his trademark scimitar. Which is kind of, you know, which is kind of interesting, the fact that, you know, Sinestro is using a sword. A, using a sword, but in the movie version, of course, he mocks, he mocks uh, Hal Jordan for using a sword. Uh, I do like the fact that all other Lanterns, you know, make up their own individual weaponry here at that point, and you know, the Lan, you know, the Lanterns going, you know, the Lanterns going to space. Uh, basically, they're on their way to deal with Legion, which, to confront Legion. Now we're out to test. Now we're out to test the the basically the senator's flight, uh, the F-16 flight. You know, Hal's not. You know, Hal's grounded. He's not flying one of the other planes. They're going to be up there accompanying the senator. Uh, but but Hector Hammond is there, and Hector Hammond more or less plays uh plays literally mind games with Hector with excuse me Senator Hammond's plane, and the other and the other planes too. It becomes crystal clear that to Hal and um, Hal. Maybe first, not the only one, but Hal pretty much quickly more that something's going wrong with the planes. And you know, Hector Hammond is is enjoying all this. He's playing games with literally everybody. So Hal decides now. Hal goes running back, trying to find you know, his go get to his Mustang, so he can get to the glove compartment, so we can get so we can get his ring. He puts the ring on. Now we kind of get our first real appearance of Earth, you know, as as it says in the script. World, meet the Green Lantern. So, you know, Hal pretty much uh, saves the, what, Hector Ham? excuse me, Senator Hammond's plane, uh, stops it in mid-flight, and this Hector is just, like, slack-jawed by this. He's just amazing. You know, he's just amazed by all this. So, you know, he sets, you know, he sets the Falcon down on the tarmac, uh, the crowd's on his feet now, people are, you know, people are, you know, people are appreciating this, uh... You know how how you know the other the other the other fal the other falcon is 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 flying so you know Kyle kind of catches that in a net and meanwhile you know Hector, Hector is uh, Hector is just using more and more of his power to try to basically uh to deal with the one plane left which is now, is, is the last plane left is it is is it the senator's plane? Is that the last plane in the air? That's what I'm trying to... Uh, I think so. I, yeah, I'm trying. I think, yeah. So I think it was the other... But either But either way, uh, uh, Hector, basically, Hector basically has to release, at this point, his power. He, he kind of like, he can't hold on to this anymore. And when it does, the jet it's suddenly propelled with a full force of Hector's mind. It smashes into the control tower. You know, the tower lurches forward. Uh, Hector kind of ducks into the crowd and kind of like, he grabs his pain, his head instinctively out of pain. The room pitches forward, you know, and you know inside the tower. And meanwhile, Nathan, his nephew, was inside the observation tower. That's where, that's where pretty much what Carol and Hal and these, and everyone else and Carl, I think, were watching this, uh, this this flight. Uh, Hal, you know, Hal you know, uses the green. He used another green net to save, you know, to save. But uh, like the last, the la, the last Falcon is this, is it's you know skidding. And, the, and he puts it back in the tarmac. Uh, Nathan Nathan's in trouble. Carol saves Nathan, but then Carol starts falling, and and Hal as Green Lantern saves saves Carol and does kind of take on you know, almost in the movie that cocky gen- generic hero talk to her. Uh, you know, G- Green Lantern kind of uses the ring and you know, pushes he pushes the control tower back upright. He uses the second blast of his ring to kind of fuse his, fuse the tower back up. You know he stabilizes the metal at the base. And Hector pass—he ends up going into the bathroom. One of the bathrooms at the at the airfield, and he kind of like passes out because of a, the strain is too much. But we see that vein pulsing in his head. We get a generic—you know—we get the old, the little too cute banter between Hal and Carol. Uh, now Hal, as Green Lantern, now Hal becomes Hal again, and he, and he comes back and like, where were you, Car- Carl? Kind of kind of confronts him a little. It's like, sorry, I had to get out of there. It was a little too familiar, you know. And then Nathan tries to—he's all excited about what he saw with, you know, with with, the, with Green Lantern. And Tom obviously—it's like, dude, seriously, I'm running out of ways to be jealous of you. Um, cute conversation between Nathan and 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 Hal. Nathan trying to figure out who he is, and Hal just kind of like pretends like he's spitballing it here, and it's like, oh, oh, maybe he's one of 360 space police who work for blue skin aliens and patrol the universe using their power rings. And Nathan just looks at him like the stu- <laughs> like that's the stupidest thing he's ever heard, which is which is which is kind of cool. Uh, later on, we get another later back at uh, Jim Jordan's place. We have more interaction between uh, Hal and his mom, and we kind of get a little it, it, it's dialogue. I think that works when Hal kind of points out. Could you imagine if you know basically if what happened today if somebody like that really exists? You know. Could, if someone would know, just imagine how nice it would have been if someone was around like fifteen years ago and that like really really resonates with with how uh, so we have moments of how more or less watching the news seeing all these horrible things going on in, in the world and he thinks back to one of the things martin jordan said to him about if you know if you're really lucky lucky something chooses you when that happens there's no fighting it uh, you have, Abins, you, have, excuse me, you have Senator Hammond talking about, you know, I spent my entire life being called a hero and, and thinking I deserved it, but I've never been so humbled as I am today seeing what a real hero looks like. And, of course, Hector Hammond is watching this, and he shatters the TV screen with his mind, and, you know, he's just, you know, He. You know. he's just, this just kind of like feeds his animosity toward, towards his father. Uh, this is when he... This is when he kind of like uses Hector uses John Broom as his uh, puppet to go uh, to commit crimes and everything to gather to gather money. So there's basically a, a little subplot of where ha- uh, Abin ship ends up at this uh, hidden sub basement, which was an old bomb shelter, a fallout shelter, at Ferris aircraft, and that's basically where that's almost like Hal and Hal's secret lair. <laughs> And that's also where Tom works on the ship, but but that's where Tom, that's where Hal keeps his power battery. That's where you know his 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 headquarters, if you will. Hal goes off flying into space. I'm assuming flying around Earth, doing heroic things, making a reputation for himself. Uh, while this is going on, we kind of see we we see an inter it's intercut with Sinestro leading the Green Lantern Corps into battle against against Legion. Uh, we also have that intercut with all the crimes that Hector Hammond is making John Broom John Broome commit. Uh, it's kind of a weak, kind of a weak plot. Hal helps rescue, helps save and rescue an astronaut on in the International Space Station by recharging his ring. Uh, Ka- uh, Carolyn, um, Carolyn Gr- Green Lantern, this interact and and in this script. Even though they they throw a cute little line at the end that Carol supposedly knew it was Hal, there is no blatant reveal early on in the movie that Hal and Green Lantern are the same character. Like Carol kind of guesses in the movie, there's not there's really none of that in this in this script. And then we're like on, we're like three quarters of the way through, and there, and there's none of that. So they're they're kind of having you know cute cute little banter about responsibility, and this is where. Someone with Carol explained to Hal before how she really wanted to see all these different places, and she never got to see any of them—Tokyo, Paris, all this—and and Hal kind of creates a you know, replica version of Paris for her, uh, and including like you know the Arc de Triomphe and all these things. You know, Pipe kind of picks up in the personnel file now, and he realizes that Broom is the guy who's doing all this thing, and kind of figures that he, an idea that. Uh, you know that Hector Hammond is probably behind this, so he goes looking for Hector Hammond's Hector Hammond's dad at the Smithsonian. Uh, uh, Hector Hammond kind of like is is you know is there, but his fa- his father is uh, is speaking, and he kind of he, he, this this is when a lot of his animosity towards his his father. His father comes out. Uh, first, first they just start having nice dialogue, and you know, and Hector Hammond tries to impress his father because you know he you know he's well dressed, and he points out that I've come into a lot of bank, which is kind of you know play on words since he's been having broom knock over all these banks, and Hammond goes to give it. And before Hammond gets ready to give his speech, you know, Pipe talks to Hammond and he goes, "You know, I need to talk to you about your son. We have a problem." And the senator's like, "Story of my life. Talk to him yourself. He's here somewhere." And then once Pipe hears this, he's like, "Set a perimeter. You know, the subjects inside." When when Hammond, you know, Hammond starts speak, heck, Senator Hammond starts speaking, and Hector kind of like, uh, he then he starts like, you know, talking to uh, talking to Senator Hammond, like, just out of curiosity, what exactly did you, when exactly did you decide I was such a disappointment? And more or less, all the hell starts breaking loose at some point at the uh, at the Smithsonian. These Pipe and his Pipe and his troops start turning their guns on Hector Hammond. And Hector Hammond you know, suggests he put their gun their guns away. Pipe realizes you know this is a mistake, and he, and he plans to, to tell them to put their guns away, but it's too late. And the guns fire, and Hector, and Senator Hammond, who is basically uh, who is being held up at this point uh levitated by by Hector basically catches all these bullets and he falls to the ground and and Hector thinks and not does he, he doesn't care but he thinks that they killed his father we find out that the senator Hammond is not ex- entirely dead yet and he kind of gives a line which is like you may have read my mind but you couldn't read my heart i always loved and then he dies <laughs> what do you think of that line Chad
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was super cheesy you can just imagine. Yeah. You can just imagine how that line would have played in a theater. So that that makes perfect sense why why they got rid of that line. Uh, meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, we kind of you know Tom is kind of like watching all. Tom is watching the stuff at the Smithsonian play out uh, in his in the fallout shelter. Carol and Hal are still, as Green Lantern are still interacting. Tom calls. <laughs> Tom calls uh, Green Lantern. And then he kind of like informs him about what's going on at the Smithsonian. Pipe tries to talk Hector Hammond down; it doesn't really work. Green Lantern shows up, you know, and, he's, and he, he saves he saves Pipe. And we have then we have you know we have the Hector the initial Hector Hammond uh, Green Lantern confrontation almost different venue, but we have a similar event of what happens in in the movie, except of course it's kind of cooler at the Smithsonian because he's like throwing all these. Sh- He's thrown all these spaceships, you know, this lunar module and all this stuff against Hal. Uh, he, he is able to exert some control over Hal temporarily, m- making him lose control of his ring, but Hal is able to regain control, and we, we really see Hector Hammond's you know head like doubling in size here, so it's supposed to be really grotesque, which probably would have been cool to see on screen, but it also would have been pretty gross. <laughs> uh now Hector goes into Hal's mind he he you know this is what he sees the connection to Abin-Sir and Hal so now he starts blaming Hal because of course Abin-Sir got him you know got him infected he bl- so he blames Hal basically he's blaming the green lantern Corps, but he blames Hal he finds you know he's able to under- he gets Hal Jordan's name he basically gets all you know he gets all his all his memories all you know he's all these images from Hal Jordan's head uh, Yeah, Hal does make it out of there. He more as it gets projected, and but he he gets blasted into the Jefferson Memorial, which was a nice touch. Back in the fallout shelter, you know, Tom and Hal kind of watch the fall again. No pun intended. The fallout from from his confrontation with Hector and Tom's like, so what do you do now? What's the what's the plan? You know, you know, eight dead comes across the screen from what happened at the Smithsonian. Hal doesn't. Hal just wants to quit at this point. Hal's like, you know, I can't do this. You know, I'm not cut out for this. You know, I don't have any training. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, I just, I I can't do this. And it's like, what am I supposed to do? And it's like, you're not supposed to give up or get help, something. And, you know, that's that's when Hal kind of realizes, you know, that's not, that's really not a bad, that's really not a bad idea. Hal goes back to Oa. He connects with Sinestro. And he says, you know, it's like, I know I screwed up, but I need your help. How do I stop him? And Sinestro's like, you can't not alone at least, which is kind of lame. It's only Hector Hammond with a piece of Legion, but still. And has like I thought this ring was the most powerful weapon in the universe, and now Sinestro's like, would that it were. It's like I don't get it. What is Legion anyway? And then we get the backstory about Legion that I mentioned earlier, how that basically the Guardians are responsible for creating Legion, and they, you know, these the Lost Sector is basically the dumping ground for all for all their all their problems. <clears throat> You know, and how the guard, you know this was the Guardian's mistake, they collected the light of fear and once they gathered they banished it and basically, you know, they help they helped the unleashed chaos in into the universe. And it's like uh, they made Legion, Hal says. It's like, yeah, that's why it hunts us to take revenge on its captors and and, and our creators. And with the Guardians' permission, I went. You know, I went after them, and it's like uh, all our, com- even with all our combined will, I killed 33 of our number. And Hal, sorry, and and then kind of like a curveball, Sinestro points out sometimes victory comes at too high a price. And Hal's kind of stunned by this. And it's like victory, and it's like the lanterns do not leave evil unbrighted. And and he, I guess it's like pseudo science cell. And Sinestro opens a cell door, and we see, and we, and he shows Hal basically Legion. Legion is captured, he's trapped by chains of green energy, a dozen lanterns are keeping a steady stream of ring fire trained on him, and Hal's like, you didn't kill it, and it's like, oh, the, you know, the core doesn't kill, certainly not before Legion can repay its debt of death, which is an interesting uh, phrase, um, and Hal points, you know, mentions that, you know, a piece of that is still on my planet, and, and it's like, uh, if the Guardians let you go after the Motherload, they have to help me stop his spawnling back home. And the Guardians point out, we will, you know, we will dispatch the core to, to 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 your planet's aid, Hal Jordan of Earth, and then we find out, once typical Guardians—a caveat: once you complete your training. And Hal's like, you know, but I don't understand. It's like the core defends its own, but you are not one of, yet one of us. Pretty much, that's what they tell him. And Hal's just really fed up with this, and Hal says he doesn't, you know, Hal doesn't care anymore. Hal gives, you know, Hal, you know, Hal gives up. His powering at this point and says, "I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really need this." Uh, what's really interesting, and this is one of our rare moments where we kind of see the evil side of Sinestro in this, that we kind of see Sinestro more or less experimenting and torturing uh, Legion. Uh, I think that's kind of interesting. He uses a scalpel to cut into his hide. He does. Uh, so when Hal gives up the ring, and more or less, it's kind of funny when he's trying to figure out figure out a way to, to find his way home, since, of course, now he can't understand it, anything any other Lantern is saying to him because his communicator's gone with his ring. All of a sudden, you know, a, another green, another flying uh, Green Lantern, the Wing Ears, uh, is, is, it refer- is referred to, excuse me, in the script, gets cut down by Yellow Blast. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, Legion, bl- Legion is free. Legion is knocking the hell out of, uh, and taking out other Green Lanterns. Yeah, you know how you know, this is kind of like a little forced in the script. They might look different, but these are his brothers. So how you know how he runs over? He grabs a Fallen Lantern's ring and he keeps doing this with with a bunch of other rings. So we kind of have we have our 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 Emerald Twilight, what our green our Green Lantern, what 49 moment. Um, mm-hmm. Hal pretty much having rings on every finger, every power ring, so he's able to. Uh, do a do a decent job at fighting off Legion. He and Sinestro are teaming up, taking taking him on. But you know, Hal has a plan, even though it's not maybe the most solid plan of all time. Hal basically basically Hal gets he get they get knocked into the top of the central power battery anyway, uh, and, and so the dome of the central power battery cracks. But then Hal you know Hal flies right towards the central power battery. He uses he uses his rings to uh, to fire at hit he basically explodes the central power battery absorbing as much of the central power battery as he can using his powerings and all the power that basically that hits hal that he that, that he absorbs and then he releases he releases a legion he destroys legion everybody thinks hal is dead uh, but hal's not dead here's another part of the script that you know I I, I absolutely I absolutely you know uh, hate when, you know, when Hal Jordan comes to, we find out that he has his gray temples, which I don't hate that. The idea that, oh, fanboys orgasm appropriately. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't... I'm sorry, I just don't get why they... I mean, unless you really knew the person reading the script got literal, no pun intended, got off on stuff like stuff like this. This is not shit you would write in a professional script, I don't think, unless maybe you're Tarantino or somebody. And that'd be more dialogue, I think, as like really fanboys' orgasm appropriately. Oh, that's just not really good. Uh, and I could see why they got away with the temp. They did. They it probably was too early in the Hal Jordan story to give him the gray temples. But at least they had it inter- At least they gave you a reason for it, related theoretically to parallax, if you wanted to, because the re- relation to the central power battery. Uh, so now Sinestro is super impressed since Hal came to Earth needing their help, and instead he helped save them. So Sinestro pretty much doesn't really care. And but the Guardians think and basically Kilowog and tomar Ray and a hundred other Green Lanterns rocket towards uh, Earth along with Hal. Uh, now, now we kind of get the version of what happened at the end of the movie that we kind of sort of got. This is a little more elaborate. You know, Hector, Hector Hammond you know goes ends up in coast ends up in Coast City. Uh, he starts he he starts using his mind powers to uh, on 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 Carl. He puts he puts you know Car- he puts Carol at risk. He uses all these uh, fi- he mind controls all the fighter jets that they have, and he has them going to attack. To attack Coast City, there's a moment. Uh, the, Hal and the Green Lantern Corps arrive. Basically, the Green Lantern Corps, which is kind of cool. It kind of reminds you of in the Sinestro Corps War a little. When you know, when the Green, when the Sinestro, when the Green Lanterns arrived, you know, at Coast City too. That towards the end, and, and even when it, in Earth, in New York earlier in the in the, the storyline, but it was especially cool, you know, when the, how the it all ended at. Uh, at Coast City, all the other Green Lanterns that came, including Sinestro and Tomar and Kilowog, they basically are dealing with all all the other shit Hector Hammond is dealing with, which is kind of weird. Uh, you think somebody would have gone with Hal to deal with Hector Hammond, but Hector Hammond pretty much is Hal's taking that responsibility on on his own. Uh, the same kind of dialogue between Hector Hammond and Hal about uh, Hal more or less says, "Hey, you, you let Carol go. You let you know you let." then I will give you the power ring. Hal does give her the... Hector, of course, betrays Hal and sends Carol off-flying. Uh, and Hector, uh, Hal does give Hector the ring. It does kind of work for Hector momentarily, but the whole, again, the idea is that, once again, he wasn't you know, he was chosen, and more or less the, uh, the... Hector having the ring and trying to transform use the ring, basically, how would you describe it? it kind of like, it, it kind of like an overload, kind of like over, yeah. back, it, it's like, it's like, uh, it, it, it overloads or it's like it, it backfeeds the energy. So how, so Hector basically ends up like a, kind of like the, the, the drooling, uh, incapacitated Hector Hammond that we've seen a lot of in the comic books by, by, by the, by the end of this, uh, Hal's ring. What Hal's ring is runs out of energy, which is an interesting twist on this. So Hal's only way to go after Carol is basically to fly another an F, There's an miraculously enough, there's an, there's, an, there's an F-16 still waiting on the tarmac. Uh, probably was i um, maybe it was the senator's F-16. That he, either way, Hal has to get into the F-16. He has to fly after Ca, fly af, after Carol. He more or less uh, he kind of like jumps. He ejects from his ship. He parachutes onto Carol's ship uh and he ends up and he and but he and Carol are still like basically cr- plummeting towards the earth they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna die and then we kind of get this voice over where we get back to uh, Carol and Hal kiss we go back to the voice over by Sinestro about all life is connected by love by hope by all the noblest instincts and by the kiss between Hal and Carol and all that, all, and their passion and going back, we're getting and Estro's dialogue. The power drawn from that connection is what you simply see as green. That because of that, the power of their kiss and their love that it rekindles, basically it recharges the ring and Hal becomes Green Lantern again. And, you know, they're lost in their, you know, and, you know, they're lost in their embrace. They don't even notice, but of course, you know, he. but Hal quickly realizes that, uh, that stood not not dying anymore, basically, or about to die. And that's when Carol, they have their moment like, I knew it was you! And he's like, yeah, right. Uh, and Hal's like, how, how about we land in Paris? And now we've the, we, the beginning ties into the end. You know, we find out that when Pipe is giving the speech uh, to announcing there's life in other worlds and the Green Lantern Corps and one of us is a member, we find out that Pipe's real name is Chad...
0: Alan Scott.
1: Alan Scott, indeed, and we find out, of course, Alan Scott has known, about, has known, and has had uh, interaction with Green Lanterns before, including. Are we supposed to assume? I guess we are supposed to assume it's Abin, probably, since it was the sector of twenty, since it was the two eight one four Lantern, and we know Abin, in, at least comic book continuity, was Green Lantern for a long time. We also, we, we also get the nice little nice little touch that, yes, that ha- Alan Scott was never a member of the Green Lantern Corps, but he did wield a similar ring back back in the day. So we have that. We have that moment. Uh, uh, it's kind of funny that, uh, I guess, to make... Tom gets a little bonus at the end because Hal, I guess, essentially kind of like helps fix Avenger's spaceship. Uh... I guess, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a, just a huge thing for Tom. Maybe it's going to be something for Ferris down the road, too. But the very end of the movie, which, which is kind of cool, which is, uh, they're in Earth's orbit, Sinestro and Hal. They're talking. Sinestro points out, it is a beautiful planet. Hal, it's everything I love, Sinestro. Then, Sinestro kind of like pauses and goes, if we train you well, there will be a thousand planets you will love just as much. And it's kind of like this—the promise of things to come, of adventure. Hal drinks in the earth, one last look, and Hal's like, "Now well, let's go see him!" And with a smile and explosion of light, two green streaks paint the blackest night. And this is where we—this is where we end and where we began in green. The end.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, some of the stuff I guess I liked uh, is. The fact that uh, one of the things that jumped out to me the most, obviously, other than other than Alan, because obviously I'm a big Alan fan, but um, I like the montage. It, you know what? It, it just it made no sense in the movie for Hal to quit and then come back to Earth and then do like the one heroic thing and then have to deal with Hector. I like the whole. He's like – he hears that thing from his mom, then he sits on the couch and just sees disaster after disaster after disaster while this quote from his mom is playing in his head. And it's just like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> and takes, takes the ring and you just get this montage of him doing things across the planet. Um, I like the idea of that world building. Basically, all the stuff I like about this original script is the world building. Um, him, you know, making his presence known to the planet at large by just doing heroic acts. The world building you got, of course, with with Clark Kent and Guy Gardner. Uh, the the world building you get on uh, on Oa, with you know the uh, other Lanterns that are there, and if you look at the uh, constructing Green Lantern from page to screen book, there's a bunch of OG concept art. And some of that concept are, uh, when you, at least you get to like scenes of Hal training, Hal is in front of Kilowog, Yes. But there's like five or six other rookie lanterns behind him. So like he's, uh, he's going through training on OA. Um, there's a ton of, uh, uh references to a conversation that's supposed to be ha- in, in, in this book here, the Constructing Green Lantern book, there are, uh, references to a conversation Hal's supposed to have, uh, in, in the Green Lantern Cemetery in the moros there and all that stuff. So like all this world building stuff that could have been. And I I like, I like this stuff with Alan, not just because it's Alan, but because as much as people praise man of steel for being a first contact story, green lantern is uh, of all of them really should be the first contact story because don't get me wrong. If you're going to start world building the DCU, should it be S- Superman? It really should. I mean, that's, that's kind of where you want to start things. Uh, that's where it started for the comics in general. But at the same time, while Superman is, a, is, is an alien from a dead world, he was a baby when he showed up. Like, for all intents and purposes, and that's, that's one thing... I bring this up very you know, all, all the time, but those uh, Justice League of America novels that I like so much, the Green Lantern and Flash novels and, and all of this stuff, in the Flash one, Stop Motion, in, in all of them, uh, there, there's, it, they're called Justice League of America as the main title, and then the hero name, and then the name of the story. So the main focus, your main POV character, is, is one hero... But they do all have interactions with the JLA. In the beginning of the Flash novel, uh, stop motion, uh, Flash is having an interaction with the Justice League. They're out on a mission trying to get some uh, asteroid-like things out of the sky. Uh, But uh, Superman just tells Flash to kind of hang back. We'll take care of this. Uh, and and, And as Flash says to himself in his own internal monologue, Sure, Superman, I'll just look for stuff real fast. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know.
1: Or or a spi- or a Spider-Man would always say, "What am I, the water boy?" <laughs> <laughs> so, um
0: but after the league touches down and everybody meets on a mountaintop to discuss what's happened in this in this uh, interaction, the the mission they just undertook you have in the Flash book, it's Wally, it's not Barry. You have Wally's own internal monologue as each member of the League shows up and what he thinks about them, what he knows about them. When Martian Manhunter shows up, he's like he's the only one that really feels like an outsider. He's alien. He's, and the reason he explains this is because while Superman is an alien, he's been on our planet this entire time. So not only is he, uh, you know, familiar with Earth culture he's familiar with earth mannerisms he moves like a human he thinks like a human like the, everything about him is just a, a, a human with super crazy powers whereas when you look at Martian Manhunter he was an adult when he left mars the way he moves is alien the way he thinks is alien like that 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 that's sort of the thing so when you when i think of a first contact story it doesn't make sense for it to be man of the the Man of Steel to be Superman. Yeah, sure, it makes sense, but for all intents and purposes, a first contact story being a Green Lantern story makes way more sense. And that's what I like about this script is because you get the first contact sort of speech with Alan that sort of bookends this movie. But just like in the original uh, script and in this from script to screen book where you see the original uh, artwork, the Lantern Corps helps Hal on Earth. So, you get this slow build. The sort of first contact uh, story that you would have. An alien crashes to the planet. The government finds it. They examine the body. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then you get the superhero thing. Someone with strange powers who's one of us. One of us is flying around and and doing these heroic acts, and then you realize, oh, this person that we've we've been seeing running around is not the only one. Look, there are other beings who are not us, but look, they may look scary, but they they, they have the same uniform as this guy we already trust. Like, it's, it's a real slow build. I mean, it's an hour and a half, two-hour movie, <laughs> but it's a slow build uh, within the confines of that to get to... The public at large sees and knows aliens are, I- exist, and their first reaction isn't fear. Whereas right. with Superman, it could be like Zod showing up, and you're like, "Well, fuck," <laughs> you know. Any goodwill towards aliens is now <laughs> gone, <laughs> you know. So on and so on. so. so it, and 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 that then that would lead you to Superman, and him coming out of the woodwork would be like. Yeah, we do, you know, there, look, there's another good alien, like, you have a Martian Manhunter story, and so on and so forth, so I, I like, everything I like about this OG script, everything I liked when I saw, when I was flipping through this, from script to screen book, is all the world building that happens within it. The Green Lantern movie we got was extremely self-contained, and when you said that you actually liked the connection between... Uh, uh, Hal and Carol and Hector as kids. I'm I'm thrilled. It's it's it wasn't a part of the original script. I'm screw- I'm I'm thrilled because it just makes this 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 story of the Green Lantern movie so self-contained. So I mean, and it's a it's it's a weird word to use here, but so incestuous. I mean, I mean I everything everything that happens in that story happens to these three people. Who've known each other the entire time? It was all destined to happen.
1: That's true. From, I can I, you know? I, I can I can see that I can see I can see I can see the merits the merits of both. Uh, I think part of that is, part of the reason why I said that is because I I'm used to at this point the idea that there's a ba- there was a connection between them. Uh, so I do kind of. But I I could see... I could see how that could work on on either the... on either way. I could see how... why they went the way they did, and I could also see why they did... why they... uh, thought about maybe the idea of, you know, giving us this. Uh, Either way, I I, I could... I could see it work. I... For me, this... To me, the stuff I liked... I like... I thought... I liked Sinestro better in this script. To me, yeah. I liked Sinestro better. I think he was written a like Sinestro. The number one, number one. He's I mean he's he's still a, he's still a good guy, but they give you they they give you more hints of they give you just enough hints in this script that there's a, that he's not all that good. Oh, there's there's a part of him that you know you have to be careful about. Even even that line that I didn't mention, but that line when when Hal's about to go back to Earth and he originally and he's like, oh d- you know, how do I get the ring back to you guys? Like do I FedEx it and stuff like that? And he's kind of like, oh, the ring, basically the ring the ring is your the ring is yours until until like you fall in like something along the lines of until you fall in battle or or somehow or or somehow or some way some other way or something like that. Or, some other way. And kind of like he says it in a really, like, almost like a, a dry, like a, uh, you know, like a reading between the lines kind of way. Uh, and what he does with Legion, there's just enough bad, there's just enough bad to make it believable, plus the fact that we are they establish in this movie, the script, that Sinestro already knows about the yellow light, so he's not, like, stunned by it. You know, it's not like a revelation that like, takes him by surprise. He already knows, even though, oh, they, they know of the concept of Legion, even until uh, even if it hadn't been proven because no one's ever seen it. They know of the story of Legion. Even Abin Sur <laughs> knew of that story. So the fact that they know the Guardians have a, you know, they know basically the Guardians have a dumping ground for their mistakes. They know the Guardians are imperfect. And they also know the Guardians, at least Sinestro knows the Guardians tried to use the yellow light first. And it just, and they, they couldn't do it. It was too powerful for them. So I do like the fact that it can it, it, it lays the groundwork more for Sinestro turning to the dark side than the movie we got did. It's oh, as great a scene as, as great a scene as that was. And yes, we don't know the context of the time frame from the you know from the end of the events of the actual movie. We don't know how soon after that was really. Maybe if we ever got in the second movie, we would have had a proper context for when Sinestro put that ring on. But either way. As cool as it was, it it really was not foreshadowed by what we saw in the movie, based on Sinestro's actions, because he was pretty heroic. Yeah. So I think this was a this was a more realistic version of Sinestro. I you know the you know the Guardian, depending on one's take, the Guardians are the Guardians are the Guardians are are douchier here, which is actually in character. So I think I like that. Uh, Legion Legion is not much of a villain.
0: No, but uh, speaking of Legion, I like that uh Hector and Legion are for all intensive purposes separate. Are they is is he spawned sort of by Legion? Yes, but in in, in the film with parallax it's oh, just yes, like the, I the, I sense myself out there and, and blah and the, blah and blah. The, and
1: the conversation between the two and yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, but but the idea, I mean, Taking us uh, away from Oa so much in that movie, like it, it, it didn't make a ton of sense to me that Parallax would attack the Earth. I mean, okay, it makes far more sense that Legion or even Parallax would come for Oa. I mean, it just makes so much more sense. So to have Hector be a spawn of Legion but not connected to him... it it was awesome that you got that fight scene on Oa because not only does Hal get to show his stuff to the rest of the core to, to fight alongside the core, to be a part of that, to show off to to who he really is, to the guardians who have just told him no, you know, and, and all of this stuff, but it, it's just this epic scene, epic placing He's not the only one there. You see how powerful the villain is by the fact that there's lanterns falling left and right. You know, you see how powerful the Green Lantern power battery is when he enters it. I mean, like, just all of this stuff uh, happens by this fight, this massive fight taking place on Oa. And then he earns the right to say, look, I just saved all your asses. Now I need your help. Come back with me and help me fight Hector down here. So, I mean, that was... That was actually really cool to see. And, and when you, when you have Hector and Parallax or Hector and Legion or whatever connected like that and the big fight takes place on planet Earth, it's, don't get me wrong, like the fate of the world is at stake, but it's almost like the stakes of that fight are so much less than they would be if the fight happens on Oa. And then they have to kind of, Clean up a little bit after by following Hal back to Earth to take care of this other thing that Legion spawned.
1: I think. I mean, I think you look at you look at Legion. I lo- I mean I, lo- I I agree. I like the fact that he's that he's basically in that Hector's infected by by Legion, but Legion's not controlling. Legion's not controlling Hector. But to be fair, it makes sense in the context of the script because because basically it's just living fear being motivated for by revenge. It's not like it, even though it's kind of an entity, it's not. It doesn't necessarily have rational thought. You know, it's not. It's not like it's not like uh, the Parallax chronolax, You know that we got in the in the movie. So so I but but. And he was a big threat, but he's not on screen very much. And, they, and the fact that they deal with him mostly off screen until Hal kills him—I mean—but the fact that he gets captured off screen, I don't know. And the fact that Hector—you know—one little teeny tiny piece of Legion is enough to 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 make he he's that much. One little teeny tiny piece of Legion is enough that you still need a hundred plus Green Lanterns to try to beat him or to to deal with his crap. But yet, Hal is eventually able to just beat him by himself because he outthinks him. Like nobody else could have thought of that plan first. Uh, I don't know. I, I still th- I still think making Hector the big bad was probably a mistake. Yeah, that's what I kind of think. I think. I
0: mean, I mean, the way the way Hector turns into a big bad is, I mean, let's just face it. In terms of origin, and, and I'm talking comic book origin. Hector and the shark are essentially the same origin. They run into something, they mutate and evolve. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 essentially it. The, the, the shark encounters a meteor or whatever the heck he, 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 or a ray or whatever, and it evolves him the same way, you know, you could believe science or religion or, or whatever, but in the same way that supposedly we evolved from apes. Just, so it's just, just like spin it all up. Yeah, it's just a, a shark person, rather you know, being the com- the shark being the common ancestor, and then Hector, if you if you you know the the, the his exposure to I think in the original comics it was a meteor, um, which also makes him sort of similar to uh, Vandal Savage in a way. Uh, <laughs> is his he his mental powers are that of a evolved human like someone i mean his body can't keep up with the evolution but his mind is what's being evolved so i mean making the shark the villain for a first green lantern movie makes no sense making hector the villain for a green lantern movie also makes no sense
1: i think they i think they just assumed because of his uh his mental powers so that they could get away with making that as the focal point. I would have preferred... I would have preferred that maybe they would have handled Hector in this movie kind of like they handled the, le- uh, the leader in The Incredible Hulk. More or less setting the stage for this character being uh, a bigger factor down the road, but in this movie Im- itself, he doesn't play much of a role. Right. I mean, Legion should have been... Legion really should have been the bad guy when when the when the concept was Legion was the villain. Then Parallax should have been the bad guy if they were going to do that, but they needed to do it in a in a different way than they did it. Uh, so it's still basically when you look at this, there are some there are some things that were better in the movie. There are some things that are better in the script. This the first draft. Again, I for me it's the writer in me the the some of those things about you know. Fuck, fuck shit, and, uh, holy fuck, and, you know, and big motherfucking boyfriend, and th- that's just, that's just, it's, that's, it just, it boggles the mind that that was something they would actually submit for somebody to read. But again, but moving beyond that, the idea that, but there are some good things in the first script, good things, and obviously there's a bunch, the basic premise of the movie didn't change, so that may have been a, the, the ultimate flaw, not that, that the, that, Changing parallax, as we can see in the script, changing Legion to parallax did not really, you know, in a way it makes it based on their concept of what Legion was, it actually made sense that they changed it to parallax because they kind of were giving you an explanation for how something like parallax could exist. Even though, ironically, the script, the, the definition in the script of what Legion was was something you could have, you needed to have a better definition of in uh, the actual movie we got. <laughs> but I would say that. There's a lot of similar. There are a lot of similarities, at least structurally, in what from the movie we got versus the movie, even the first draft. So they, it didn't change all that much.
0: Do you have the constructing Green Lantern from page to screen in front of you?
1: I do not, Chad.
0: Okay. Uh, I was just looking at some of the ring designs, and I was going to point out some of the OG ring designs, but I will just take
1: a photo and. Uh,
0: and send that to you here in our chat.
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, is that's one of the that is one of the better things about the the book. Because when you look at the the rings, you look at the rings, and you look at the power batteries, the multiple, the the different versions that they. Yeah, uh, see, I don't. I certainly don't like the one in the middle.
0: The one in the middle is what I sent you. I like that actually because it, there's really. It, it looks like there's no band between the the rock. It's just like two two smaller bands that extend off from the um, from the the straight part of the Green Lantern symbol on top of the bottom. I think that looks kind of more cool slash keeps a sort of alien look. Um, for those of you who have this book, I'm looking at page 72. There are uh, several Green Lantern ring designs. There's one, two. 2A, 3, and 3A. 3A is what we ended up getting. I'm, I sent Mark a picture of 3, which is like the OG ring design that we got in this movie, just without the metal part, and with the drop-down green stone that extends off the flat part of the Green Lantern symbol on top and bottom, filling out the rest of the ring.
1: I don't like the, the, as much silver in that I don't. I kind of glad they went away. With, went with something that was less silver.
0: Yeah, uh, and of course the ring design for Sinestro's ring in here is all is one of the highlights of the book. And in, in terms of something you get to see um, more more detail of in in the book than you do in the film.
1: Oh yeah, the movie the movie ring was great. The Sinestro. Yeah, the movie the, the, the design of the Sinestro core ring, the Sinestro ring is great. The the power batteries are interesting, especially since they were so close to using one concept, and then they just decided to switch because they want. I think they wanted to make because they switched because they wanted to make it match uh, what Oa and what the central power battery looked like more. That's the only reason they didn't go with it. They swap they swapped it out to make it more in sync with the power battery.
0: The green li- the the Guardians'
1: uh, citadel seats
0: actually looked cool. Uh, as they were originally planned. I just sent you a photo of that. Um, yeah, they were essentially cool. s- sitting in huge Green Lantern symbols. That looks really freaking cool. Um, there's a lot of uh, images of the various designs of the lanterns, including Iolande, Boudica, uh Larvox, Vaz, Gallia Zed, Metaphil, Rot Fan, Moro, not L- not Kaloi, Hanu, Chase, Alon, Isamot, uh, just I mean, t- tons of them. A green man, so I mean, you can get a ton of ton of looks at those designs that we would have seen more of
1: in action
0: if we would have gotten the film uh, that we just read through. So
1: that is true. The core seemed to be definitely more of a factor in the original in the original script, and I, yeah, it's just
0: that world building I was talking about.
1: Yes, and I do, I, I did like, for lack of a better way of describing it, almost like the montage of Hal using the ring, of saving people, uh, of just, you know, just exercising his powers and getting used to it and things like that. That kind of that is kind of something we really did not get in the new in the movie that we got. We got we got him using the ring very very sporadically and not. Like, oh, you know, I can do all this crap. Then he go. then me start doing it. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, is there anything else? My my battery's about to die, so I just wanted to make sure. But it's good timing because we're wrapping up anyways. Yep. Is there anything else about the film or Green Lantern Lost Army or the uh, script to screen book or anything else we wanted to talk about before we uh, close out?
1: I don't think so. But like every other episode, the odds are probably by tomorrow morning we both will think of something we didn't say tonight, <laughs> but that's my fault, because I went into more detail, actually, with the script than I than I, than I planned to, so I apologize for that,
0: no worries, uh, do you want to tell people how they can reach us,
1: lanterncast.com, that's the place to be, people, go check out our stuff, uh, the email, lanterncast@gmail.com. at uh, listener feedback, always appreciated, and yes, Jesse, sorry that it took us so long to get to... <laughs> To get to your lost army question, but hopefully we you'll be happy now that we did and at least satisfied enough to know what, what could have been, or maybe you'll be more frustrated to know that because we didn't get it. Uh, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on either of those. iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on whichever platform you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail, so let us know what you think.
0: That's right. Uh, you want to tell people what's coming up next?
1: Despite what you believe, I don't think we've agreed, but actually is coming up next.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we have some Hal Jordan and some Green Lanterns stuff at some point. Uh, it's just a matter of how far we want to get into the coverage of that. Two issues, three issues, blah, blah, blah. How far did we go with Hal?
1: We have two issues. We can do how Hal- two issues of Hal in the core, right if, if we want to right now. We okay. can do 47 and 48, which would only leave 49 and 50.
0: So 49 can- comes out next week, so yeah.
1: Actually, um, yeah, because yeah, uh, whatchamacallit came out today, right? Green Lanterns.
0: You know what I think we should do uh, and you'll know why. But we should we should do uh, uh, wait until forty nine's out and then cover Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps, leaving fifty by itself.
1: Okay. Just in okay, case.
0: Okay, you, you 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 follow my logic there.
1: And not one hundred percent. Other than the fact that it's issue fifteen, it's the last issue of the run. Oh, because of because of what you're hoping something you're hoping for. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Okay. Oh, Hope Springs oh, Eternal.
0: Uh, yeah, well hoping slash you know more, I, I have more than just hope behind it, so <laughs>
1: Why? Is, is has anything changed?
0: No, uh the, the the nothing's changed. They just
1: you know, but we also What's haven't I know, but we also haven't heard anything about the other thing we were hoping to get done. So,
0: <laughs> Well, that – but, yeah, but that's – that's it's too late for that. It's so Yeah, but we but – this one, this one, they just said reach out, so –
1: Okay, but we were trying to get that one done before it was too late. <laughs> the last – one the other one, and we never heard back, right? It just kind right, of – Right, exactly. So that's my point, that unless we've heard something else, then I don't know if it'd be – But either way, if you want to leave issue 50 for issue 5 by itself, that's fine, and we could still do Hal in the Core next week. We just have to – I just have to make sure I get the issue on Wednesday. Uh,
0: so, other than that, should we should we send them to their uh, back issue bins uh, to uh, to hunt down what's coming up next?
1: I guess. I mean, you're you're like a dog with a bone if you want to do this relatively soon. So, well, not...
0: I mean, it's it's fun. We've been doing a lot of uh, current issue reviews back to back lately. We, just, so... we also
1: have a lot of other th- other. But we can do it. I'm not saying we won't do it, but we also have a, a lot of other issues we've talked about doing that we still haven't done, which have not related to current continuity. But I'll—it's re- available. I'll read it. We can do it. But I don't. But let's do how. Hal- as long as we do Hal in the Core next, then we can do what you. Go ahead, and tell people what we're going to do after that.
0: Green Lantern, three of a kind, and I say Green Lantern, three of a kind because it started in Green Lantern. So that's, it's a Green Lantern crossover. Uh, uh, Basically, it was a crossover series during the Kyle Rayner run. Green Lantern, number 96. Green Arrow, number 130. The Flash, number 135. Which all formed an interconnected cover of Kyle Rayner, Connor Hawk, and Wally West. Saving people from a sinking cruise ship. So that is the storyline three of a kind, which crossed over between Green Lantern 96, Green Arrow 130, and Flash 135, all during the year 1998. So if you are looking through your back issues, your long boxes, if you have an LCS that has back issues, whatever, you may want to hunt down those issues so you're ready to follow along with us when we cover that storyline. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, since one one vague thing we just sort of stumbled around, and one obvious thing. So, is there anything else we want to say before we close out? No. Okay. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night.